Welcome back, everyone. Episode 5 of our Making Waves series, the Backpacks preview for the Women's World Cup here in Australia, New Zealand 2023. We've left the Australians till the very last, the Matildas on home soil. And as always, I'm joined by Lazarus Grimos, but we have a special guest with us as well, returning to the podcast. It's a pleasure to welcome Fatima Flores. Hey, boys. How you going? Thanks for having me. Good, Fatty. And the first returnee. Oh. The first returnee. So welcome back to the pod. Yes, welcome back to the pod. And we're going right around the world in this pod. So we're going, where are we going, Nath? We're going to Dublin. We're going to Toronto. We're going to Lagos, Nigeria. And then we come back to to our fair shores. Yep, very much so. Fatty, you're you're not the only guest on the pod uh, this time around. We're going to be speaking to Malachi Clerken from Dublin, Benedict Rhodes from Toronto, and Cecilia Omarogbe from Lagos. It's going to be a great chat. And we're going to have a deep dive on all the teams that Matildas are going to be facing in the group stage. So everyone's got a really good idea on what they can expect. But we have to kick things off with the Matildas. And firstly, let's get into it. Can they win the whole thing? Yes. I, I, I honestly... Yeah, I do believe it. I think one of the best things about this Women's World Cup is the number of teams that genuinely have a good run um, or a good shot at it. And I think, you know, a tournament comes along. We just don't maybe understand the true value of the home crowd, um, the impact of that. And I think if we set early momentum, you know, I, I kind of think back to a year ago in England at the Women's Euros and I just saw how it started and that thing just snowballed, you know. So I think if we can, you know, do something similar, jump onto that with a strong performance from the very beginning, starting to studying, um, you know, the Friday night uh, against France, I think, yeah, it's it's in our hands. I think it's the the girls seem to be prepared very well. We have depth like we haven't had at a previous World Cup. We, I don't want to jinx it too much, but in terms of injuries are looking okay. We're managing a few. Um, but uh, yeah, I think this is just a unique opportunity for our girls to make history. And whether that's winning it or not, you know, that could still mean making a semi final would be incredible. Um, of, of a home world cup and uh i'd just be happy either way i think it's it's an amazing dream come true for a lot of us football fans down here to see this all unfold so yeah i'm behind the girls we can do it i believe buddy with regard to the france warm-up we'll know the result by the time the pod comes out right but yeah with regards to to that warm-up match or the send-off match before the main event kicks off next thursday our mm. time how important is this friendly? Um, result. Result, play style Whatever. of play. Yeah. I think from all I think components. Yeah. I think uh it's it's more important for the girls to use the opportunity to kind of realize just what it a small taste of what it's gonna be like in that opening match. You know, fifty thousand mm. at Marvel is insane. It mm-hmm. will be the biggest crowd at this point in time that they've played against um at home. So I think that experience will be really good for our first match in Thailand. Mm. Um, and the ladies as well, trying to just prepare themselves for what it's going to be like on the field. I think this is going to be, again, a great experience to figure out just what it's going to take to be successful on the day, um, how to communicate, how to deal with all the things going on around them. Um, so for me, it's, I guess it's important for maybe like the morale of the team and the um, confidence and momentum in in the performance 
And, you know, the other thing to remember is we're versing the world number five team, France, and who are also in their own very good run with momentum after the new the new coach coming in, bringing back confidence to key, key world-class players, by the way. It's not yeah. just regular. Uh, absolutely. Uh, this team is gun, and I, I I fully wouldn't be surprised if they go, you know, all the way as well. So I think this challenge is an amazing one to have um, just before we, you know, get into the real thing. So, you know, I would like it to roll out nicely as a fan. I'd like to get, you know, a nice win. I'd be happy with the draw, but my main thing is no injuries and a good, um, you know, atmosphere for for the fans and for the players to get that opportunity to mm. yeah, handle handle the nerves and mm. and things like that. But um, yeah, it's an exciting one. Like what a game to I know to send your team off. You it's know? A, it's a, it's a tasty one. It really mm. is. Absolutely. Yeah, it's fantastic. And you have you're gonna have fifty thousand people there at Dockland Stadium. A lot mm. of those people will be ones who were a little disheartened not to get a ticket to the Canadian game on Match Day Three, mm. but of course being at uh, Amy Park, only twenty five to thirty thousand seaters. Um there's a lot of opportunity here to raise morale, but also slightly burst it a little bit if the result goes either way, uh, in in a significant manner, say three nil or more. What do you have I to be a doubter for? Hang on. Hang no, on. I'm not no, being a What do you have to no, be a doubter for? It's not a downer. It's a positive as well. If they Imagine the, the feeling, the euphoria, if they win 3-0. That's true. <laughs> I'm just putting the stakes on this match. That's all I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, it's a warm-up friendly. Yes, we're expecting some things to be tried, some uh, cards kept close to a chess from the managers because mm-hmm. these two could be meeting each other in the quarterfinals. Mm, very much so. Yeah. 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 Particularly yeah. if they both win the group. Uh, which Absolutely. we'll get into yeah. that later on, but uh, it's definitely possible. I wonder I also, how much we're going to find out from this game. Well, I think you, touching on your point of like, if it does go a bit sour, well, that's a very like la- good last opportunity mm. to figure that out. Like um, maybe it will reset um, some of the expectations, maybe not from within the team. I think, to be honest, within the team, they know exactly what mm. they're about and what they can do. Um Tony's also shown many times, like it, any outside noise will not influence him whatsoever. And I like, like that's good um, because the role of, I guess, media and people and, um, you know, fans online, we, we, you know, you want to talk about this stuff and you want to be critical because you want the best, you want the best for it. But he sees these, these girls day in, day out. He knows it. Mm. We don't have all that inside. So maybe I'm a glass half full type person, but if we lose, Great. Let's learn from that, and then uh, you know we can uh, apply it when it counts. Because I'd rather win then than lose a, a you know a friendly. With regard to the squad itself mm. and the twenty three, the is there anyone that's outside of the twenty three that is going to be a notable miss, or are you quite happy with the way that the uh, the twenty three has been selected? Overall, I'm I'm pretty pretty happy with it. I think. Um, taking into consideration all the injury or the the players coming back from injury um and maybe their match minutes um it, it was always going to be tough wasn't it mm. it was always going to be tough for a hell of a job hell of a job i don't absolutely would not want it um and again i think the coaching staff um they know exactly what their game plan is going to be here and what they want from players um and how it's going to best fit the team so maybe, you know, I know 
Tony's always going on about this, not just the starting 11, but the finishing 11. I mean, I'm pretty sure he's probably thought about not just the opening match, but the final, who's going to be on the final, who's going to be in the semi or the quarters or like he's gone through all of that. I'm sure of it. So, you know, I, I think um, I just leave it into his hands because God, I wouldn't want it. The one player that I was, I felt um, it was unfortunate was Remy Simpson. Mm. I thought, you know, her move to Leicester um, was a like what a, what a move that turned yeah. out to be for her, and to come to a club that's in a serious relegation battle, and you know, to and obviously Courtney Nevin at the time, and she, you know, she was getting minutes and things. So I thought, you know, that she, I would have been really happy for her to be in the squad. It was a very good player to bring off the bench, but um, yeah, overall, I think it's a very strong uh, squad. And for once, I think proper depth across, especially the defence, <laughs> especially the defence in the midfield, which is nice, um, a nice uh, a nice change. Yeah, it, notably there, the inclusion of Grant and, and Hunt have come on pretty recently mm. to fill out that depth and maybe more than just depth as well at this tournament. We'll oh. see how it pans out in terms of a lineup. But yeah. some of the players that aren't here, you mentioned uh, Simpson, Legazzo, Gielnik, Crummer as well, yeah. ones that have yeah. missed it. Do you think they're going to be losses that are going to be felt amongst the squad? We've been talking a little bit about the depth and that it is a balanced mm. team. Mm. Would they? Would those players offer just that little bit extra? I mean, of course, um, of course they would. But I think with some of them, they it's the injury cloud and lack of minutes that can you take the maybe that risk on um, bringing them along when maybe they're not even at fifty. You know, I can I can yeah. see with Kyla and even with Polks who's carrying injury and Meeks who's carrying an injury, but they're a you know, from what I understand, they're a little bit further along mm. the the So I, I just think it's it is a massive gamble. But look, if if it was um if none of them had significant injuries um and they were playing a lot of minutes, that would be really really rough I, th- I don't know I just feel it's it's yeah it still sucks like I, I can't go <laughs> I can't <laughs> deny that it and it's unfortunate for these girls you know because it's a home world cup like what a what a moment and I couldn't imagine how they would have felt and coped with that but the the squad is very tight and they're very you know supportive of one another and um I think you know they had a massive role in getting the team to where mm. it is um so I know it's not quite the same, but it's still a massive honour that they've been part of that. No, agreed. Agreed. Who do we look out for in this squad? I mean, I'm going to say the Madridista, the newly <laughs> you <would>. signed Madridista, <laughs> Hayley Russ. I cannot believe it. I'm so happy for it, and it's so good to see the mm. first Australian signed at Real Madrid. It's a historic moment. It's and absolutely we and well a year deserved. Ago. Yes, and it's absolutely we brilliant. We brought the luck. We did. And you know what? It suits her. Absolutely suits her. Not only as a player, but it just looked, that white kit just looked fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> it was beautiful. It was, it was uh, like, I loved as well seeing how many people who I know do not like Real Madrid, but they couldn't, because it's Real Madrid, you can't not understand just how massive that is and you will like that post of Real Madrid you will retweet it because it's insane like mm. this is, it's like playing FIFA or what is it now EA FC <laughs> or, or something like. 
Uh, what a lame name, isn't it? But anyway, um, so it's absolutely unreal. And what that is going to do for the next generation of mm. young girls who are going to be at these games watching and now knowing, oh, Real Madrid will look at Australian players. Real Madrid, if you're good enough, you're going, you know, there's a shot there. Um, but I think going to that team at this point in time is perfect because they're they, someone in Spain needs to stop Barcelona or at least challenge That's right. <laughs> it's, it's in, they're a machine that just I it's wild they are. But they are. It, it, it's wild but I think what Madrid's trying to do and for Haley to get um into a squad that I definitely see her starting and oh, getting away. Yep. from the get-go and you know she said in an interview like they play a lot of games in Spain I do you know the longest I think it is the longest mm. one of the longest leagues. Mm. Um and so she'll she'll get that opportunity to do her thing and she fits the Madrid way of playing like she runs till the end and will fight till the end and will you know um attack she'll go for it and that's everything that Madrid's about. So yeah of course I was a very happy happy uh Matilda's and mother to this this week. <laughs> it was unreal. I think it's, I think that's enough of the Real Madrid slant. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, we indulged a little. <laughs> it's too easy. But I think you said who else to look out for, right, in, yeah. in our Matilda squad, right? Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I can't wait to see um, Cooney Cross. Yeah. She's been in some fine form over there um, in Sweden with Hammond B. Like, what a signing. Like, every every. Monday or weekend, I'd look on Twitter and she's just set up another amazing assist, a goal, um, a player of the match. It's it's endless. And um, mm. I'm pretty excited to see her now take it at, at this level mm. um, because I honestly feel she can get an excellent run in this tournament. She, the big clubs are coming mm. for sure. Cups. The other one is is Charlie Grant. Like, what an another amazing story. Amazing talent. Oh, but it's just everything about her. It's not just her performance on the field, but it's the energy she brings mm. around the squad. And um, you know, that it's I think if I was on that media team of um the Matildas, you'd be pushing like, that. Yeah, got, yeah. You've obviously got Sam Kerr, but Charlie Grant is like uh an amazing just a story of um, a local Aussie girl who's come through our A-Leagues and just jumped in when it was basically thrown on her, no Ellie Carpenter. Mm. She's come in and she has really made it her own. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to to see to see what she can, she can do and bring for us. It's to the point where if she is to, to replace either um, Ellie Carpenter or Steph Catley for whatever reason, you don't you feel confident in her capacity and capability it's she's just a, a great player to, to see yeah and it's been fantastic to see her elevate to this level just to step up mm. to step up and um and uh and and yeah rise to that challenge that i mean imagine that like <laughs> early carpenter gets injured yeah and the next one in <laughs> like um okay and, yeah bring it on and, <laughs> exactly and yeah. i and i love that like i feel like that's the that's the face of an australian football cop like <laughs> not saying that she's got no technical skill because she does oh, and yeah. she's not so finished i mean she scored that goal against england loved it i think yeah. that one i think it was it was england wasn't it yeah yeah yeah, yeah it was. oh i was like you know what charlie you now have made it into some history there because mm. it's against england like how how awesome is that <laughs> 
And it's amazing. Some of these players have sort of risen very quickly to where mm-hmm. they are at the moment. Grant Hunt, uh, Cooney Cross, and uh, Mary Fowler as well, to some extent. Mary is, Fowler. Yeah. Is Cooney Cross going to be the one that you see as the real breakout star for this tournament? The one that will become a household name by tournament's end? Or is there someone else that you've got sort of circled off to be the main breakout that the people will get behind the most, other than the ones that we already know, the likes of Sam Kerr and Ellie Carpenter and Hayley Rasso? I think they're mm. more on the popular side. More people know them. Who do yeah. you see as the biggest breakout star? Okay, so even though I think she, I know, and I'm probably sure you know um, or would agree that Caitlin Ford deserves to be, she is in that group of Sam Kerr mm-hmm. and Catley. However, when yeah. um, you look at it from around the world, media and stuff like that, she's still kind of like forgotten about sometimes and like to their detriment, like go for it. Forget that she's there mm. because bam, she will absolutely uh, tear you one. And I mm. think he was on some incredible form for Arsenal. Mm. Um, like keep it for Arsenal when they were going through some horrific injuries as well. And um, and then she had her her um her injury as well. But she came back in again and and I think so even though she has been around for a long time in our Matilda squad and people know of her, I just think sometimes, yeah, the attention tends to go to, of course, your Kerr and your Carpenter and your and your Catley, but the danger um, and the impact that Caitlin can bring, which give it, give Caitlin some space and she can do damage, and then if that draws the defenders to them, well, then who who's who's free? Amazingly, Sam Kerr, who you want her to be in that box. I don't want Kerr out of that box. I want her in that box like she's at in Chelsea and, you know, finishing, what you know, there's getting what, getting anything. Like that's, to me, that's the um, the dream. So, yeah, I hope they don't pay attention as much to <laughs> to Caitlin and give give her the space so that because she can score from outside of the box, she can dribble at you, she can run in behind you. Um, so yeah, I think from my yeah, I think she might be like a a standout to maybe the rest of the world, not to the ones that know her yeah. and watch her really. Yeah. Um, but that this is what's so exciting about this team is that yeah, you can you can see. Ford maybe going, but then mm. you can also see um, Cooney Cross or your Fowler or your Chidiac, Claire Hunt. I'm also excited to see how she goes because wow, Same. like whoa, what a what a <laughs> what a way to just come in and own it from the mm. get go. So um, I I think that's why I can't really just pick on one. But if I had to, I would say Caitlin Ford will be the one mm-hmm. that might have that extra X factor. So looking at the squad, what do we think the strongest eleven will be yeah. of the twenty-three? So if we go goals, so who's gonna is it gonna be Mackenzie Nothing. Arnold? Yeah. You gotta go with form with goalkeepers. Yep. And she's in she's do not change it. Yep. And she's in she's very confident at the moment. Like keep it. Ellie Carpenter right back. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Clear this is with, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's with this injuries, right? Um yeah. and it sounds like from the press interview this morning. Uh, this afternoon, mm. home, that we might, or I think I read an article, we might not see Polk's, Tamika, and um, someone, oh, Kaya. Kaya is definitely yep, not sure to this. So um, this is where it will get tricky because I I don't know enough mm. of where she, she's fully at. Yeah. Um, maybe she'll get half a game or something. I'm not quite sure here, but on a on a, a normal day, I would go Polk's. Oh yeah. Mm, you say Claire Hunt. I want, form. yeah. Well, yeah. I do want Claire, but then I'm like, yeah, let's go Claire Hunt. She deserves it. Claire Hunt. Right. Kennedy, 
Kennedy coming back is amazing. And I, I hear she's been training really, really well. Yeah. Um, and that's awesome. We need that. It's a bit different though. Mm. Game situation. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, mm. yeah. uh, Steph Catley left back. Got to start. Yeah. Even though yeah. I'm, yeah, yes, you have. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. But again, there's a argument there for Charlotte, for, uh, Charlotte Grant and, yes. and Catley could play left back like a central, like centrally Center left back. back. Yeah. Yes. And, but see, this is what's nice. The fact that we now have options with moving Catley yep. in, or leaving yep. her at left, having yep. Claire Hunt in. Yep. Then you've got Kennedy there. Mm. Um, like this is unreal for once because last World Cup we had that injury clouds all over our defenders and it was just too much. Yeah. Um, and I, I think um, having – I'd be ha- very happy with Charlie Grant um, starting. But mm. then what I see from Charlie is that she, and also because she's young in her career, she will play whatever role and mm. give um, yeah. 100%. And I sure. do not think it will impact her mentality or confidence if she's starting on the bench because I can see her coming off and, um, yeah, just absolutely going for it without holding back. So in terms of how Tony consistently talks about game changes, impacts and finishing uh, and maybe trying to put a surprise to the opposition who might not know just how good Charlie Grant is because they are looking at Catley and Carpenter and Kennedy. Mm. Um, maybe that's like that's a nice little weapon to have and yeah. she's young. So, you know, I, I, I'm okay with that option of bring her off the bench and I think she'll be able to handle it um, as well. So, yeah, but let's stick Catley's at left. Cool. Done. Penny <laughs> Cross in the midfield. Penny Cross, yeah. Yep. Yeah, done. Penny Cross. Who's her um, holding partner? Katrina Gori. Yeah. Penny Cross. Yeah. That's pretty cut and dry, hey? Yeah. Yeah. I would have thought so. Mm. Just from what we've seen and, and I know. And they formed I mean, a good combination lately, I think. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Mm. And they've also been the ones in Sweden playing right up until last weekend. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, in terms of form, like they're at a high intensity. Mm. Um yeah, they're coming in quite strong, and which is good. Um, obviously, Sam Kerr up front, Caitlin Ford in behind. Mm-hmm. I like when Ford plays behind. Yep, a little like little ten or roaming, yep. whatever you want to call it. Who, um, because then we can we can use Sam. I, I ideally like Sam just kind of keep her in the box. And I think what she's done at Chelsea, where she hasn't had to come deep, mm. she hasn't had to do mm. anything because at Chelsea they have blessed. She doesn't have to, yeah, they are. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> Um, but if we can do that, something similar there, and and I know that they've had so much history from W League days and before, mm. um, in playing closely together, I think mm. that will will give us um, a massive um, advantage. Which then also we draw them in centrally here. Where's the space going to be? Mm. And who's out? Who's out in our spaces? Speed for days. <laughs> Speed <laughs> and people that will run at you. You know, I think that is my. For me, I like that game plan. That's just me personally. And the other two midfielders will be who? I think he'll start um, Rasso on yep. the like left. Mm-hmm. Is it the left she normally does? Or, or she even right? comes to across to the right too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Rasso and um, ugh, who's our other normal? Who, who's our normal three? Sam, Rasso and? Would there be a, a, an argument to play Fowler on the left? Mm. Is, uh, that, is that a possibility? I mean, I don't think I've seen her play. Like, are we talking? Like, because normally she would play 10, right? Yeah. But I'm just wondering because I, I, I don't mind the idea of actually Fowler running at people out wide. 
and then she'd be able to, you know, drag people out to her because I think she's she's a, an amazing, an amazingly talented footballer. And when she's running oh, with the ball at her feet, my lord! Yeah, she's um she's unbelievable. I think um yeah, my, my only concern with her has been the lack of game time. However, yeah. she's again mm. in a team at City with so much talent. It's tough, mm. uh, but she she can definitely um do uh, she could definitely do that role. I don't know for me what, if that's what I'd wanted to do or wanted what, to start. Or would it be Courtney Vine? I think that's who I was thinking. I was like, there's someone I've forgotten and I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, um, no, no. It's all the excitement as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it has to be Courtney, doesn't it? Courtney Vine time. What? Yeah, Um, I think what she has done as well and for a player that is in our A-League. Incredible. Is, yeah, it's amazing to see and um, – Man, our league needs to take this opportunity and not let it slip because that's the perfect marketing. Her and Claire Hahn, like, look at it, um, mm. playing in our league and this is the level that they're at. So I think Courtney Vine, um, I'd be very happy with out there on the on the wing, doing her thing, hopefully scoring another banger like she did against Spain because that was world class. Mm. That goal. And she does it, she does it a lot in the A-League, but if we can see her do it at the World Cup and at that level consistently. Well, I think, um, yeah, that's a pretty exciting 11 there at the moment, you know. So, oh, I don't know. It'd be tough, hey, being Tony. I do not. <laughs> Tony <do>. G. <laughs> a lot of pressure on, a lot of pressure on. Oh, yeah. Th- this is one tape he needs to mix right. <laughs> oh. To use that. And, you, and you call out my puns. <laughs> hey, gee, well, hey, <laughs> that originated <laughs> from your pun. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's good. So, that's good. Uh, so on yeah. the other side, on the other side of this, we'll uh, come back and do um, Matilda's active support. Like uh, you know what's happening yeah. there. Yeah, Legacy. absolutely. Legacy will go game by game. Sounds good to me. So, Fanny, for those that may not be across it, you're a bit of a superstar. Right, you were the, oh. <laughs> all right. You, you played yeah, a, a, a really, you played a really important role in announcing the team. Right in their, um, in their announcement video, and as part of your activity with being, um, you know, in amongst the Matilda's active support. What's planned for this upcoming World Cup, as far as the active support's concerned? Yeah, um, there's there's a lot planned, and the amazing team. Um, of Matilda's active who have been planning from probably France, um, <laughs> probably the moment we lost in uh, in Nice, we we started the next step. Um, to be honest, I, I think there's not we're not too far from the truth there because uh, that experience in France really um, has made a massive impact on the whole active support in our in Australia mm-hmm. in the A League especially with the Matildas. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it's it's been at times, um, I don't know if challenging might be the right word, but, you know, Australia is still very new to understanding what active football culture is, unless you're in it. And so we've, we've um, really been trying to work at, you know, how do we um, encourage people to get involved and to you know, engage in their way, to be active in their way. And it's been really important from the get-go for Matilda's active support to be about 
inclusive um, an inclusive and welcoming space and that's probably something you'll see across all of the women's football active fans you know not saying that there's no banter because of course we want to you know bring down England and bring down the US and and all of that but um yeah it's it's been exciting to try and put something together and as hosts to just show the world our culture our football culture as well mm. um, you know, we might be small and bloody far away, but we are fanatical over here. We're getting up at 4 a.m. to watch time uh, games at stupid o'clock, you know, and um, I think that's been pretty exciting. And so what Matilda's Active have planned, and if you're not following Matilda's Active on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, do it now because if you're thinking where's all the fun going to be, like you need to follow there um, because, it, it, you know, there's – for every Matilda's home match, there is a pre-game pub meetup. Um, I think the other exciting thing about this World Cup, it's the first time we've ever had at a Women's World Cup a uh, official FIFA fan zone. And um, a lot of the Matilda's active group, as well as fans from New Zealand, got the opportunity to talk with FIFA and explain, you know, what a fan zone would mean to us and what we'd expect because it's never happened before. Um, so I think there'll be... Um, act, like events that go around the fan zones, but when it's Matilda's games, um, there are specific venues and pubs that are dedicated for the fans to rock up from like, I'm pretty sure for all games, it's nearly kicking off from 1 p.m., like get there at 1 and it should slowly start building of um, Matilda's active fans, maybe new fans, maybe you've never been before, but it's an opportunity for you to just come and have fun is one um come and just celebrate this awesome event we've got here but then to just get behind our girls and part of what we'll do at these pubs as I got to uh, get involved in it in France was you know starting chance together an opportunity to kind of like <laughs> to practice but it's a little bit like just letting off all the stressful nervous energy um, as well but it's fun. You have a good time. And um, I think the game days are going to be unreal. But there's also, um, I believe, some other meetups or and you might see a couple more kind of um, ad hoc events. But I really just recommend that you, if you're listening, to jump and follow Matilda's Active on all of the socials to get like the latest about times and where. Um, and if you're traveling alone uh, or with a very small group, this is a, a really good way to kind of connect with others because that's how it all started in France, a bunch of random Aussies coming together um, and just having the biggest party for, for a month. So lots happening on game days, lots happening, I think, also in the fan zones with um, – the, the pitches that have been assigned there. I think Matilda's active have got us like some time slots as well to, to use that. So um, yeah, there's just so much going on that it's also hard to keep up with, with it all. Um, but again, the easiest thing, follow the Matilda's active on all of the socials, please. And just come <laughs> along and try it because it's, it, it's chill. It's fun. 
It's great to see there's so much organisation around the supporter group, the active support, and national team active support is always a little bit more trickier than club active support, but just by the very nature of it, and maybe it's also a bit of an Australian cultural thing as well compared to other places around the world. It's great to see there is so much organisation around. I'm looking forward to uh, checking out some of the, the fan zones, and um, I'll be in the uh, in for the island game next week, so it'll be, it'll be yes. great to go head off to uh, one of the pubs and uh, and check it out. Oh um, yeah, really provide a positive atmosphere for everyone going to the games on the day. Yeah, and especially like it is fairly um, still new. It's still growing in women's football. Just what active support is because it isn't. Um, it isn't all just like what you would expect at a men's match. Actually, it's nothing like it at all because generally <laughs> it's smaller crowds because it's not promoted or it's at stupid stupid times and um you know there's a there's always barriers mm. <laughs> or there has been in the past mm. so um you know where it, it's i think an opportunity for people to try something new and to learn as well it's an opportunity for people that have been to previous world cups until it is active before um it's an opportunity to kind of show others um just why we do this, what what's fun about it, and um and for for people to just see how you can get behind your team, you can create a lot of noise, you can support them. The players have referred to the impact of the fans quite a bit already. Sam mm. Kerr has said it now multiple times. Uh, and I mean, if you're not going to listen to me, listen to bloody Sam Kerr, like of course. <laughs> <laughs> she's saying she's saying, and Tony has said it, but it's coming from Sam, from our captain the impact and the role that we have as um, as fans, as home fans, to lift the team when we're down because it's not going to be all cruisy as I can imagine maybe some people who aren't football fans who are coming along to the event, they might not have a clue at just what they're in for. Um, so it's important that we spend our energy making our girls feel that energy in the stadium feel the support behind them when it's tough when we're losing and when we're winning that we are you know just there constantly giving um what they need you know i think we also have a role as fans to to do that and it might be that you're just clapping you might not be on the drums or yelling out like me and whatever but that's okay like as long as we um help and do our bit and um i think that's that's the most important duty that we have as home fans as well and and to create that atmosphere that the rest of the world go wow like Aussies absolutely love football um and and then I think it's also showing our own country outside of football um maybe the AFL and rugby league fanatics and the cricket fans just this atmosphere actually is and it goes for more than 90 minutes not just when a the occasional try or a six-point goal is kicked or you get a wicket in like six hours in between each, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> like it, it's it's different, you know. It but um, and that's why we love it. That's why exactly. we love it. It sucks you in, and it doesn't. It just doesn't let you go. You have a taste, and that's it. That I'm that's telling right. you now, they will be hooked. They will. That's be right. That's right. With regards to legacy, fatty, mm, it's a, yeah, probably been the most used word during this build up to the to the World Cup, right? Yeah. What do you want to see the aftermath of the tournament be here for the game locally, and in particular the the women's game? Because there's no doubt it's going to be a boost for the sport overall, right? Yeah. But as far as 
the women's game and, and, and the girls' game in particular, what is it that you would like to see be the, the legacy of this tournament? Mm, you are right. That word has been thrown from the get-go. Mm. <laughs> legacy. It, it, and, it, of course, it's important. And I think at the moment you're already seeing some action in terms of local clubs and facilities, and they're talking about, you know, different types of scholarships on offer for coaching and all that stuff is brilliant. But something that I think is number one critical, we cannot drop the ball. However, I'm still worried that we might because it's happened before to other countries is I want to see a proper plan in place by the APL and um, especially the APL. I think Football Australia have... um, been doing some great things but I think now that it's in the hands of the APL how are we going to domestically make the most of this and we cannot just expect that um, the 50,000 fans that are going to Marvel tomorrow or the 80,000 going to Sydney or whatever it is the rest of the tournament that they're going to come to a league now just because they went to a world cup if there's no plan in place there is no way that's happening uh so I want to see like like proper, here is the legacy document on how we're going to make this happen and how we're going to make our A-League um, not only attractive locally um, to players, coaches, um, commercially to the Australian corporate world, but how are we also going to make this league attractive um, to internationals? And I think it starts on raising the standards of resources of um obviously minimum minimum pay has been addressed but it's never been a full season we're finally seeing that next season so that that's at least been already arranged so that's a good thing but apart from that like i'm thinking more the next level how we leverage this and go after the corporate um well to help funnel in the investment um can we do something similar along the lines of you know what we're seeing in america with your angel cities and san diego's and i mean um what's the latest team bay um, bay fc i think it is mm-hmm. um like we need to learn from some of that and those those clubs they're created and it's amazing great marketing but it's money that they're bringing in and they're selling crowds which is making money and they're selling merch and they got their players on um well now on the, the women aren't on apple but they're on another um streaming platform or mm-hmm. free to air and mm-hmm. our players aren't even on that like i haven't seen an ad an a-league w an a-league ad um with Claire Hunt and um, Courtney Vine. And so what I, what I really want to see is that there is a proper plan, a document that goes, right, these are our five, year one, these are our five key steps we're going to look at um, and think bigger than we ever have before. And I think it's an opportunity for A-Leagues to also look at it as if we invest in our women's, this might also help Okay, might not replace, but it might also help our product overall of football and help our men's um, A-League to also go again on the up and up in terms of its commercial value and interest. And, uh, you know, like why not use um, the interest that the women's game is generating, um, support the A-League and the A-League women's and, you know, help support the men's. Like there's, I, I just feel like there needs to be a much better or an actual integrational kind of collaboration because it still very much feels super separated and um, 
yeah, I, I think that for me is what will make it or break it because this will be the best month ever for me and many other fans just because it's a, a once in a lifetime. But what will break my heart is if we then go to the next A-League season and the girls are playing at 2 p.m. on a streaming service that's doesn't work well on pitches that are not suitable and on, um, you know, training facilities that are just not good enough um, for A-League. So if we can look after our domestic league, just like with our Socceroos, like how many have come through our amazing mm. A-League um, men's competition and now mm. where are they? Middlesbrough, Celtic, they're everywhere, you know. Um, Tottenham, come on, Angie's at Tottenham. So <laughs> I think, yeah, we we need to look after our home first to make it more sustainable and keep this momentum going so for me that's the that is the big legacy piece for me how do we look after it at home and keep it going yeah very well said buddy and um look the eyes of the world and the country are going to be on football once again we we're in a similar position back in december didn't all go all too well in terms of legacy but um Mm. hopefully we can uh get some of the things that you're referring to there and uh general improvement for uh, the game both men's and women's one point to all of that and I'll get your guys, you know, insight on it just quickly if, if you want to. But I think there's another element to what Fatty just said as well. Whilst I was thinking about it whilst Fatty was talking, and I'm thinking, okay, looking at the overall football picture of the nation as well, there's a role for the state federations to play here as well. And that can't be let go. And they need to be really proactive about it because they're going to be the ones who actually are driving legacy in terms of infrastructure to the grassroots. And that's significant a significant amount of importance needs to be put onto that. Hundred hundred percent. Um I think with the state federations, they all need to again realize this is the opportunity. Here's the train. We need to <laughs> this sounds very like perfect world, but they need to kind of like all get on the same page and suck it up and deal with their put it to a side, whatever previous history and drama and politics and whatever. For the sake of our our sport across the board we need to fix it we need to support it at grassroots we cannot be the most expensive sport and the most play like we can't have that many barriers to our game like I, I, we're going we will go nowhere um so to me you're right uh Lazarus the the state federations need to dr- help drive it yes and help keep our local clubs then um to a high standard and set the tone um and and the direction but it's gonna it's gonna take everyone to do that to, to you know do that role yeah absolutely and as the saying goes a rising tide lifts all boats but uh, for that to happen everyone's got to be on the same page with it and there's a there's a lot of responsibility for everyone involved in the game to uh all drive this thing forward because the opportunity is there of course the participation numbers are going to go up following this world cup it's just a case of whether that can be uh fully realized in terms of potential for all the other parts of the game uh fatty thank you very much for joining us for this uh, matilda's chat for our group b preview we're going to go and speak to a couple other guests about the other teams in the group nigeria canada and ireland but we'll be back after for the game by game do you want to stick around for that hell yeah of course i would i love i love chatting to you lads fantastic uh we're gonna go to a short little uh, music interlude on the other side we'll be joined by benedict rhodes to talk about canada
and the head of that Match Day 3 showdown with the Matildas down in Melbourne. It's a pleasure to be joined by Benedict Rose, writer for Canadian Premier League and True North. Benedict, thank you very much for your time. And thanks for having me, guys. Let's dig right into it with this Canadian women's national team. There's a lot of storylines coming into this tournament, particularly with everything surrounding Canada soccer and what's happened since the Tokyo Olympics. Give us sort of a brief overview of where things sit at the moment heading into this Women's World Cup. Yeah, like you said, there's there's a lot of storylines on and off the pitch at the moment. Uh, there's there's I think the players at the moment are trying to keep their focus on the pitch. I think, you know, they're coming into this tournament, as you mentioned, the reigning Olympic champions and, and with high expectations, for both internally and externally. Uh, and that, that comes with being an Olympic champion. And I think, uh, you know, coming into this tournament, they're, they believe truly that they can win this entire thing and, and it won't be easy, of course. But never is at the World Cup, but uh, they, they're they looking to sort of keep the, the federation issues, I guess, off the pitch until until after the tournament, I think. So, Benedict, what is the crux of the issue at the moment with regards to Canada soccer and their uh, national teams? Like, and in particular, the women's team. We had that issue yeah, back in February at the She Believes Cup and, and uh, obviously with players threatening to strike and so on. But fundamentally, is it just lack of economic resources that the players are protesting against? Uh, or are there underlying issues with Canada soccer at the moment that are, are affecting this campaign? Yeah, I think part of it is the actual pay itself. Part of it also just equal treatment. You know, I think we're looking at you know, the the revenues, I guess, for, for last year. And, and a lot of it went towards the men's team out of their World Cup. And and the the argument, I guess, is, has been that you know the women's national team is, has been the one driving the success for for many years for this national team or for the national team program. And you know uh, when when that's the case, you know they they, they want and, and deservedly uh, deservedly expect equal treatment. And when it comes to things like length of the the camps, for example, you know if, if the men's national team have have a week before the camp and the women have have two days or three days, it's not enough time necessarily to fully prepare. And and it's things like that or or, or flights, for example, you know. Some players were, were paying themselves to upgrade their flights from from regular class to, to business class or whatever and, and that kind of thing. So uh, it's equal treatment more than it is about the actual dollar figure, I think. And and I think uh, that that's going to continue to be a story until the, the deal, which has apparently been offered to them, is finally signed and agreed by all parties. And these ongoing financial issues with Canada soccer, has it been the overbearing story coming into this tournament? Is there, within Canadian circles, more of a focus on the women's team because sort of away from Canada down here, we hear a lot about the financial troubles and the protests and conditions, these sorts of things. But in Canada itself, how much is there a focus on actually actually the players, the coaching staff and what they can achieve at this tournament? I think the the issue of the Federation is never going to go away until it's resolved. I think it's, it's kind of on the back burner, but I do think there, there's kind of a a sense in Canada there is they do also have to focus what's happening on the pitch as well right and uh I think as we get closer to the tournament I think that'll continue to be the case and uh but the, the issue won't go away during the World Cup you know it's gonna it's gonna keep being talked about as it should be and as the players are going to make sure that it is um and and I expect that to continue in your opinion Benedict how has Beth Priestman been handling this situation and her technical staff because I'd hate to think the kind of pressure that they'd be feeling that they would have to deliver a result of some sort, you know, against this backdrop here. How do you think they're handling this whole situation? I think they're handling it quite well, especially Bear Priestman. You know, she she's very sort of even keel all the time. She she kind of knows what to say and when to say it. And that's one of her strengths, I think, is is being able to to have these issues and, and be there for her players and, and they love her and support her as well. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you know, she's a job to do and her job is to win the World Cup and, and so so the players and uh, I think she does a pretty good job of, of balancing both, and uh, I, I think they're gonna 
you know, again, not let it go away, these issues, but they're going to be able to put it on the back burner and say, look, though that will be resolved. We know that will be resolved, but uh, let's let's try and, and focus our attention on the pitch to, to winning this World Cup. You talk about winning this World Cup, that's the job of Bev. Is that the be-all end-all for this tournament? Is that the definition of success or failure victory in the final? Uh, not necessarily. I don't think. I think they they believe that they can go and win the final, and I think, you know, they'll, they'll be disappointed if, if they don't win it, but I, I don't know if they're coming in as the overwhelming favorites. I don't think they're, they believe they're the overwhelming favorites at all. And I think they also do kind of play on that underdog role where they kind of, they did the Olympics as well, where they kind of go, you know, we believe we can be anybody, but we're not going to go in, you know, acting like we're the favorites. And, and I think that'll serve them well. I think they are expected to at least get out of the group stage, at least put in some good performances in the knockout rounds. But I don't know if winning the whole thing is, is going to be the, the, like, I don't think Bear Prefund's going to get fired if they don't win the World Cup, essentially, if that's, if that's what you mean. Mm. So let's go to the squad itself. What um, are your thoughts about the squad, the, the final 23 that have uh, been selected and who are players that we um, that we should keep an eye out for? Because, uh, you know, I mean, we're familiar with the likes of, uh, you know, Kadesha Buchanan and, and Ashley Lawrence and, and obviously uh, Christine Sinclair, but who are other players in, in that 23 that we should be keeping an eye out for? Yeah, one of them, I think, is Julia Grosso. She plays for Juventus in Italy. She scored the winning goal at the Olympics. And uh, over the last couple of years, she's really evolved into a, a very key player, a starter regularly for this national team. And you know, there's, there's rumors all the time now about her going to some of the biggest teams in the world. There's, there's you know, 500,000 euro price tag on her name, apparently. And, uh, you know, I think she she's the ability to control games by herself in midfield. She can she can pass, she can defend, she can do it all a bit of all really. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And also one name that no one really expected to be on this national team roster was Olivia Smith, 18 years old. She she was a training player for this World Cup camp. She's a youth national team standout. Uh, but you know when they did their you know ro- uh, roster reveal show on on television over here and her name popped up, I think a lot of people were, were very very shocked here because she wasn't part of their preliminary squad or originally uh she's a very talented player as well and, and a pure goal scorer which this team i think does need at times and a couple of veterans in the squad so sophie smith has uh i believe announced that she's uh retiring very shortly from the national team christine sinclair maybe not so much what's the talk of over uh her future is it that this is her swan song is she gearing up for paris 24 she hasn't really made that really publicly known yet. I, I do think she'll probably go to the Olympics one last run if she believes that she can contribute and they have a good chance at it. Uh, I think she'll she'll do one more, but I think this is kind of accepted now, even if she hasn't made it public, that this is her last World Cup. Uh, it's her sixth one, I believe. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, obviously she's a legend in the sport in this country and, and all of the storylines are going to be this being her farewell to the World Cup, I think, but not necessarily to the national team just yet. So when you look at this squad of 23, what would you say comprises the strongest 11 that Canada can put on the pitch? Like a position by position, I think yeah. they, they probably play a sort of a 4-3-3 formation mm-hmm. at the moment. So Keelan Sheridan, I think he's expected to be the, the starting goalkeeper in, in net, one of the best goalkeepers in the world. Brad Friesen says she is the best in the world. Uh, Centre-backs, there's there's three of them on the, on the squad, but I suspect it'll be uh, Kanisha Buchanan, who you mentioned, and, and Vanessa Gilles, who was crucial to the Olympic gold medal. She, both of them are two very strong defenders, good in the air. That'll be a good partnership, and... Ashley Lawrence could play either fullback position. I think she'll probably play left back. Uh, I suspect Jade Riviera will play right back, as she did at the Olympics as well. Uh, midfield, I think we're going to see Christine Sinclair probably at the 10 as sort of an attacking midfielder as opposed to, to the striker. Kind of a role she's kind of transitioned into a little bit over the past couple of years. Uh, maybe doesn't have the legs she, she once did, but that, that football IQ is always going to be there. Mm. Um, and I suspect there'll be Jesse Fleming and, and Julia Grosso behind her. Uh, with Jordan Heidema up top, she's in good form at the moment in the NWSL. 
uh, on the wings. I think it's going to be interesting to see where Bev Priestman goes there, but I suspect it'll probably be uh, Chloe Lacasse on one side. And and I think the other position's going to be up for grabs if Nichelle Prince is, is fully ready to go. She's coming off a, a long-term injury. Uh, I do think she could be a, a starter there, but there, there's a lot of options for Bev Priestman in these two two wide areas. Yeah, very interesting. And speaking about Ashley Lawrence, she's got a brand new move. She's a, a new Chelsea player, and she's up against a future teammate in Sam Kerr down in Melbourne. Uh, you're expecting a, a little bit of uh, a friendly reception? I hope so. I think they'll be a good one. I think, you know, <laughs> those are two of the, the, the premier players in the world. Um, to see them go head to head is, is always going to be a pleasure. And, and uh, yeah, I'd love to see uh, what they're going to do against each other. Just on the uh, Canadian football front or soccer front, right? Uh, and in particular, the women's game, what do you consider, how do you consider the depth to be behind this 23? Is there a lot of depth beyond this 23 or like the programs going forward? What's your take on that? I, th- I think I think there is. I think there's some some young players who are, are just coming through at the moment. There's some who are left off the roster who I think uh, could be could be factors going forward. But also, you know, Canada's missing some some key players. You know, Janine Becky's out with it with a long term injury. Uh, Jade Rose, uh, center back who played very well against Sam Kerr in Australia uh, towards the end of last year. Uh, she was injured on, the, on one of the last days before the squad was announced. So uh, that's an unfortunate loss. But also, you know, I think there there are some some good players coming through. That uh, can expect to see maybe as early as the Olympics next year, and and definitely in the years following that. And what have you made of their form in 2023? This team, a loss to the states, a win against Brazil, and two losses to Japan and France. Is it something that we can read a lot into? Uh, yes and no. I think you know you mentioned the, the sort of high emotional toll that that some of the off-field stuff had at the She Blues Cup, and but also you know playing some of the best teams in the world, United States, Japan, and Brazil. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't read too much into that. I don't think and. Uh, playing France in France, I think was was meant to be a difficult game. It was meant to be, you know, in Canada, our our national team head coach like to call them tier one sort of opponents, and I think France is definitely that, especially away from home. Uh, so the results haven't haven't been perfect, but I do think you know they they weren't blown out in any of those games except for maybe, maybe the Japan game. But uh, I, I do think that ultimately playing against the best teams will will be good for them going forward. And how important do you see the the matches against Australia and Nigeria? Uh, I, th- I think those will be important, especially the ones in Australia. You know, getting used to traveling over there, getting used to playing over there. They had big crowds for those games as well. Getting used to that was, is going to be uh, what was important. And I don't, I don't think, Bef- obviously, Beth Reason didn't know they're going to be drawn against Australia. But mm. just having that uh, mindset, I guess, to, to still have a practice game, I guess, away from home against a very you know su- supportive home crowd towards the home team is uh, going to serve them well. And, and the Nigeria game is a bit further in the past, but... Uh, you got a bit of a sense of how they might play against them as well. A physical team, a team that's that's quick, uh, and a team that Canada I thought matched up pretty well against. So let's go through your opponents, or Canada's opponents, in the context of this group as it is now. As you mentioned, Benedict, those friendlies occurred, you know, uh, well in the past. But you, you know, Canada will um, start off their campaign against Nigeria. How do you think that? How do you see that uh, playing out? And and how do you see? the other teams that Canada are opposing in this group currently. Yeah, I think that would be an interesting one, the Nigeria game. I said they're, they're a physical team. They're a team that will cause Canada trouble on counterattacks. And, and Asasat Oshawala is you know, one of the best players in, in the world, plays for Barcelona. Uh, I think she's going to be their main threat. And you know, Canada prides themselves on defending. I think that's a good chance to sort of make a statement and show it. If they can shut her down, I think they'll give themselves a, a chance. And um, I think that'll be a very good sort of a benchmark, I guess, for the rest of the tournament. 
and the other games against Ireland in Perth and then Australia in Melbourne. Do you think it'll be a similar scenario where it is that big shootout in match day three for top of the group? Or are you expecting a, little, a bit of resistance from Nigeria and Ireland, uh, posing a little bit of a surprise? Yeah, I think in this group is kind of the group of death, right? Anyone can be anyone, I think, in this group. But uh, I think I, I'm still expecting instead of a bit of a bit of a shootout in that third game to have you know two of the better teams in this tournament really going head to head in the group stage. It's sort of a fascinating uh, prospect, I guess, and having them. You know, potentially playing for for one and two, and the, the one of them has to play England eventually if, if England gets through their group as well. So uh, I think it, I think both teams will give their all in the in the group stage, and and that could be the one of the best games of the tournament. I think if if it all goes you know the way we we're hoping, hoping it goes because it's neutrals. And as you say, potentially England in the first knockout round. I find it fascinating that Canada and England are playing a, a pre-tournament friendly mm. on Friday. Yeah. Are you surprised that they've been so up to playing against each other when they could meet so soon? Is it something that uh, you're expecting the Canadian staff to have a little bit of a, a cat and mouse with, naming some players, trying some things out tactically that really it's just a, a bit of a dummy? A little bit. I kind of expecting a bit of a, you know, a bit of a mind game. It's not obviously the the purpose of the game is to get fit and ready for the World Cup, but I don't think they're going to throw out their first first team eleven or or anything too revealing in that game. And they said against a strong opponent, Bev Priestman has history with that program, of course. He was an assistant with them at the last World Cup, and uh, and that does help them when it comes to arranging games with England. And uh, yeah, that'll, that'll be fascinating. See what happens in that game. We won't be able to watch it, obviously, but it'll be interesting to hear sort of uh, the tales afterwards, I guess, of what went on into that into that preparation. And instead, only a few days out from the World Cup as well. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what did both both teams do in that game and against each other. It'd be good to actually get a feed of, of that game from the Sunshine Coast because I think it's on at the same time as the Batildas play France in Melbourne. I think it's on uh, Friday night, if I'm not mistaken, um, here. Uh, it would be great to actually see that, you know, uh, somehow because I think that would be – it would be really interesting to see how both England and Canada line up in that in that game. Yeah, I expect they're not going to hear too many details about it, but if one of you has a drone or something, go, go and fly it up and, and send me send me the link. I want to watch that too. <laughs> yeah, things will, things will come out because it's it's a pretty – it's Sunshine Coast Stadium is a pretty open stadium. So it's, you know, um, yeah, so it uh, there might be a stream that does come out somewhere, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Someone might get a little bit creative. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, so how do you see – the if we go game by game – and score lines, Benedict. Let's go with you know uh, Nigeria versus Canada in the first one. How do you see that? What 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 do you think the result will be? Uh, I think I'll I'll back Canada winning that game, but I think it'll be a tight one. I think it'll be you know one nil or two one. It'll be a game where both teams have their chances, and it's just a matter of who takes them better than the other team. And we'll go uh, Ireland versus Canada. Another one where I think it's going to be come down to you know whoever takes the best advantage of their of the chances that they're given. Both teams are sort of defensively resolute and. Mm have that sort of star power capable of winning a game. And and I think that one could be a draw or or maybe a marginal Canada win, but that'll be, I think, probably the tightest game of the group stage. And then match day three in Melbourne against Australia. Do you think Canada can top the group? Do you think it'll take that game to top the group as well? Is it going to be something that you're expecting Canada will have to beat Australia to get top spot? I think so. I think both teams are going to probably go into that game on on you know, three or four, maybe six points. Uh, I think that game will be, will be the deciding one. I think you know that's going to be an absolutely fantastic game. You know, Sam Kerr on home soil is always always exciting, and and I think Canada will be up for that one as well. And 
Uh, I don't know about a prediction, but I think I know for sure it'll be a fantastic game. Feel free to predict. Don't don't worry about offending us or anything like that. If you <laughs> oh, no. think Canada are going to win, say so, you know that's all good. No, no, I genuinely think it'll be it'll be a close one. I think. Yeah. You know, like a one nil either way. I think is is yeah. how that yeah. one ends. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And how do you assess the teams coming out of Group D, which would be the round of sixteen opponents? We talked a little bit about England. Do you see it as a real carrot for finishing first and uh, potentially avoiding England playing Denmark instead? Not that Denmark could necessarily pushovers, but you'd certainly rather play them over England, I would think. Yeah, I think so. I think England are kind of one of the teams coming to this tournament as as one of the, the top dogs, I guess. And I think that's definitely a team you want to avoid. Uh, I, I think I agree with you. I think we we're kind of expecting Denmark to be the other one. Uh, out of that group and and again no pushovers but I think Canada will sort of fancy their chances against them a lot more than they would against you know England and, and star power they possess as well yeah even allowing for England's injuries they're they're a threat there's no there's no doubt about it yeah absolutely I uh, was going to say that uh, I actually am glad that the Matildas are actually playing Canada in on match day three I think because effectively it could be a situation where and like you mentioned uh, earlier Benedict that both teams could be on six points right, feasibly, going into match day three, and then it is just a shootout for, you know, whoever finishes first and second. Uh, and it's basically a the calibre type of game where the, you know, it's a round of 16 has come early. The, the knockout phase has come early, you know, one, one match day earlier. And I think that'll actually hold whoever does win that game or if it is a draw, great. But I actually think it'll hold both teams in pretty good stead going into into the round of 16. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think, uh, you know, Looking at the the Olympics, for example, last time there were it was, it was a good group for Canada. I know they they played some tough teams, but maybe going into the the game against Brazil in the round of sixteen or not round sixteen the the quarterfinals, it was it was maybe a team that was not up for the, the knockout round yet. They were kind of coasting through the the group stage, and and now coming into the the next round, it was it was a little bit slow. And I think like you said playing against Australia, playing against a team who who is I think going to be in, in that knockout round and a team who who do have aspirations of winning the whole thing. I think that'll be very good for both teams going into that knockout stage, assuming both of them are in that top two. And Benedict, who do you think will be the ones taking it out? If not Canada, who is your prediction? For, for the whole thing? Yeah. Uh, I think probably two of the teams you just mentioned. I think Australia are maybe a dark horse for this whole, the whole thing. I think they, they have some very, very good players playing on home soil is going to get them sort of riled up for this one. I think they, they have a shot. Uh, England, again, they're their team who, who come off the Euros win, of course, uh, missing some some key players, but they have some, some very good backups as well. Uh, and then the team you can never rule out, of course, is, is the United States. They're, they're the two-time defending champions. And, uh, you know, in Canada, we know all too well about what they can do to, to Canada and <laughs> international football over the years. But uh, so I, th- I think those are kind of the, the big three, I guess, or big four. Benedict, thank you very much for joining us from Canada. It's It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and get your insight into the Olympic gold medalists, who uh, I think are a dark horse for this tournament, for sure. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely great to have Benedict Rhodes from True North Sport and Canadian Premier League Soccer and a writer for The Guardian as well. Join us uh, to discuss the Canadian women's national soccer team. And shortly on the other side of this, we'll be joined by Maliki Clerken from the Irish Times. We're going to talk all things Ireland now and joining us from Ireland is writer for the Irish Times, Maliki Clerk, and thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for asking me, guys. Absolute pleasure. Just before we get too much into the nitty-gritty, I'd like to ask you more broadly, what is the current mood and the expectation for this Irish side heading into their first ever major tournament? Yeah, it's um, it's starting to bubble. Um, it's 
obviously our first ever time in a World Cup. Uh, and qualification last was November. Uh, Ireland beat Scotland in uh, Glasgow. And the country went mad for it. It did, um, you know, we don't have any great history of uh, of supporting the women's team there's there has been a women's team for well over 50 years um very little interest in it for most of those years uh it's really sort of in the last I was going to say the last five years that it has kind of taken off, but it's really, really, pro- probably really only in the last two or three years that has caught the sort of public imagination to any great extent. Um, but it's everybody's looking forward to the World Cup. I, it's funny. I was in Glasgow when they qualified and I came away from it going, oh, this is fantastic. This is so great. The country's really going to get on board. And then my heart kind of sank and I went, shit, it's in Australia. (laughs) It's going to be in the middle of the night and nobody's going to get to see it. Um, But that's not quite the case, actually. The times... The timings actually work out quite well this this side of the world. Uh, two of our games are at eleven o'clock in the morning, and the other ones at one p.m. So, um, yeah, like the constituency for it is kind of kids, you know, young mm-hmm. girls. Uh, it's going to be during the school holidays here, so that's going to be a big help. There's watch parties kind of getting organized around the country, that kind of stuff. So it's good, yeah, like. People are people are up for it. Like any of these big tournaments, uh, you know, it hasn't really caught on and it will now next week and the week after. They had their final going away game last Thursday and it was the biggest crowd that there has been at an Ireland game. Like that's still only eight thousand kind of time kind of thing. Okay. You know, they haven't played they haven't played in Lansdowne Road the, or the Aviva, the, our our big stadium Ooh. where the where the men play. Now that's kind of out of choice. On their behalf, um, the little stadium that they play in is kind of their home and they've built a kind of a fan base around it. And if they played in the bigger stadium, you probably you might get over 8000, but you wouldn't get 20,000, you know. So it's um, look, it's still quite a niche thing, but it will certainly the World Cup. World Cup is a, such an, an enormous tool to push the women's game in every country, really. You know, we've seen it. The women's Euros was a huge thing around um, around here last year. Now, Ireland weren't in it, but England were in it, and it really mm. caught the imagination in England. And something that really catches on over there kind of catches on here and blah, blah, blah. But, um, yeah, so that's a, a long-winded way of saying it's people are looking forward to it, and they, they will catch on more to it as it happens. So, Maliki, given the... Crowd numbers that they that the Irish team are used to. Can you tell us what the perception will be when the Irish side comes out against the Matildas? Yeah, <laughs> and they'll be facing a full stadium Australia of eighty three thousand people. Yeah, I mean the way we're looking at that over here is uh, considering the amount of Irish people in Australia. Will there be anybody from Australia among those eighty thousand? <laughs> <laughs> Great point. So Great we're, point. We're we're pretty sure we're going to have at least half the stadium. Um, you know, it's a really fascinating thing. I've been saying this to people for the last month or so. I don't think I don't think people here have really cottoned on to the size of the sporting event that's about to happen to their team. Mm-hmm. I don't think they really have the concept of that. That you know that next Thursday it is next yes yeah, 10 days mm. away yeah we're recording this on the 10th 
yeah. the, the just the sheer, almost the sheer cultural impact of a game like this is going to be like it's going to be mind blowing. Um, uh, it's funny, Vera Pau, uh, who's the Ireland manager, uh, gets a little irritated sometimes when we ask her questions like this. Mm. Um, you know, when they went to Glasgow to play uh, Scotland in the playoff, they mm. played in Hampton Park, which was an 80,000 seater. Now, mm. look, there wasn't it, there was nothing, there was maybe 10,000 or something, yeah. but it was the first time that they had played in, in a huge sort of national stadium type thing. And she got a wee bit irritated at me when I kind of said, uh, you know, this is this is a big step, you know, they're going from a little provincial yeah. ground in Tala like we have. And, and she said, you always ask me this, but you know, <laughs> they play, th- these players play like, you know, some of them play in the States and they play for big clubs there and they some of them play in England and they play for big clubs there. And Katie McCabe plays for Arsenal and, you know, there was 60,000 mm. people at the Champions League semi-final yeah. there against Wolfsburg a few, uh, uh, like a month ago. So um, I think it's fascinating. I really think it's a fascinating thing, this, this opening game. Because, and I'm sure people in Australia won't have any sense of this, the... Yep. You, we can trace the modern success of this Ireland team, really, back to a game against Australia in, like, what was it, September 2021? Mm-hmm. They, played, they played a friendly here in Tala, in the in the ground that, that they had their send-off in the other yeah. night. And when the game against Australia was announced, a lot of Irish people who were into the Ireland team, you know, it's still a very small community, mm. but a lot of us were kind of going... Why are we playing Australia? Like, Australia are brilliant. Mm. Um, we're very, very not brilliant. Like, we uh, <laughs> not, like, we've never, you know, this is our first major tournament. We, yeah, we, hadn't, sure. we hadn't qualified for a Euros before. We hadn't made any impression. Like, I think it had been 20 years since we had beaten a team ranked above us in the world rankings, something like that. Mm. Um, and suddenly Australia and Sam Kerr and Mary Fowler were coming to play and we were kind of going, what's the point of this? Like this, this is not this team's level. They're, you know, is get, getting hockeyed 5 nil at home to Australia. Is that going to do us any good? Sure. Of course they went and won. They That's won 3-2. Right. Um, and, Really, if you want a sort of a launch pad for their qualifying campaign, A, and then B, the, the any whatever level of public interest that there is in this team, it started that night. Uh, I actually went and checked the other day. There were 3,000 people at that game. Wow. It was in September 2021. And like, you know, just as there are plenty of uh, Irish in, in in Australia, there's fair few Aussies over here. Mm. So out of that 3,000, you could you could probably stick maybe six, 700 of them were, were Aussies who were coming to see their, you know, their, yeah. their world soccer team. Um, so the like the level of public interest was 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 pretty tiny, uh, but the level of confidence was even lower still. You know, what why would we do this? But honestly, after that, a lot of Irish sports watchers, like the Irish are very like the Australians. They get into any sport. They don't care. You know, they don't need to know all the players. They don't need to know the intricacies. Like we had a, a field hockey team that got to the World Cup final a couple of years ago. And nobody in Ireland is into hockey. Like it is, it's <laughs> just not a sport that we have any history in. Or any, But um, all of a sudden we were all hockey experts. 
and we knew all the players and all that. So, like, once an Ireland soccer team then beats Australia and you're going, hang on, who are these people? Why are you, what, what's possible Ooh. here? And that's, so the, that the, the, the modern history of this team goes back to that because they bounced from that into their qualifying campaign for the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Where they were, they played Sweden and uh, they played, uh, um, well, I think Finland was the other good team that they played and uh, then Georgia and, and a couple of no hopers. But um, like they had, like basically Vera Pau came out afterwards and said, we are going to be playing Sweden. We need to play teams of that standard. We need yeah. to beat teams of that standard. We need to understand that it's possible for us to live with teams of that standard. And so, like, there, there are friendlies before this World Cup. They played two games in the States uh, back around March or April. Mm. They played France last week. Now, they got their asses handed to them by France last week. Yep. France France were very good and Ireland were, were very sort of incoherent and not very good at all. But that's what the, the last few years have been about, is being sort of changing expectations, changing what... You know, Irish soccer has always sort of accepted for itself, uh, you know, um, and starting to realise that they can play against big teams and, and, and compete. Yeah, it's fantastic to see. And let's talk about some of those girls in green that we're going to see mm-hmm. in Sydney next Thursday night. Is it the Katie McCabe show? And talk to us about some of the other players in this team and also some of the misses like Aoife Mannion and Megan Campbell. Are they massive mm-hmm. outs for this side? Yeah, so let's go through it. Katie, it they are not not quite the Katie McCabe. It's not quite the Katie McCabe show. If you wanted to to be really specific about it, it's the Katie McCabe and Denise O'Sullivan show. Mm-hmm. Um, they are the two best t- best players by a fair distance. Um, the Katie thing is interesting in that she's clearly the most talented uh, attacking player. Probably still going to play her as a wing back, a left wing back, and they're going to be playing against certainly against Australia and Canada. They're going to they're probably going to be playing without the ball quite a bit. So there'll be quite a debate here about is this really the best use of Katie McCabe, um, turning her into a sort of a jobbing left back essentially in a in a five at the back. Ireland play with three at the back and two wing backs. Um, it, it does seem almost certain that Katie will be the left wing back. And they have a real problem at right wing back. Um, it's probably going to be Heather Payne, who spent the whole of the qualifying campaign playing as a lone striker, which was a, basically a thankless... T- I don't, I'm not entirely sure if she even scored a goal. She was just out there as a dog's body to run into the channels and stretch defences. And she's she's the fittest member of the squad. She's a former cross-country runner. She's uh, incredibly aerobically capable. But she played against France at right wing back the other night and got got really shown up, got her limitations really got shown up. She's not that technically gifted of a of a footballer. Uh, and she's really getting used to the position as well. So that that'll be interesting. I don't know. She got such a chase in the other night that that they might change. They might go back to Anya Gorman, who is Probably the she's definitely one of the oldest members of the squad. She's mm. definitely the member of the squad with the most caps. She's been playing. I think she made her debut in two thousand and six as a sixteen-year-old. Mm. She's one a real legend of of Irish football. But is she really like? We don't know if she has 
uh, enough, actually too many miles on the clock, I guess. Mm. The problem. So they're going to have a bit of an issue there. Um, what has changed since the since qualifying campaign, uh, there have been two American um, players coming in by what we call the granny rule, basically. Uh, Neve Farley, um, who's a terrific player, um, has come in. She was part of the... Uh, as people will know, the uh, the big controversy in America last year uh, about uh, coaches and unwanted sexual advances to players. Uh, she was part of that, um, which is a fascinating story. She was out of the game for, I think, six years, literally did not didn't kick a ball for six years. Um, after a, a combination of the car of a car crash and this uh, the the problems that she had uh, with her coaches um, at Oregon, I think. I mm. can't remember the name of the club. But anyway, she has come into the squad. Um, her father is is Irish. And uh, she has added definitely added something to the midfield. She's better at holding up the ball. Uh, it was always a problem. Denise O'Sullivan is brilliant at holding on to the ball. Brilliant. Uh, she's real scrappy centre midfielder. She's the captain of her club, uh, North Carolina Courage, in the in the uh, women's league in in the states. So she's 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 a real quality quality player. Um, but between Denise and Katie, they accounted, I think. For half the goals Ireland scored in qualifying, um, so it's a supporting cast around them. Um, Louise Quinn is dangerous from set pieces, um, and scored a, a few headers and and such during qualifying. Others, uh, they have goalkeeper Courtney Brosnan, who was actually their player of the qualifying campaign. Um, funny enough, like went into the qualifying campaign as like there was a real real debate over whether she was even the second best keeper in the squad. But she kind of got in for one of the games and played well and has been very secure all the way along. You're still looking at her and going, Are we real? is she really that trustworthy? She, I don't know if she commands her area that well, but but she will be the goalkeeper. But essentially they are, look, they're, they're strong at the back. Megan Campbell is going to be a loss. She would be playing on the left of a back three with Louise Quinn and Neve Fahey. Um, she's a very good defender. What she also has is an extraordinary long throw uh, that was a big attacking weapon for Ireland, and that's gone. So that's that's a loss. You know, there's no there's no there's no real sugar coating the way Ireland play. Like they're not a fun team to watch. They're definitely against the teams that are be- like against Australia and Canada. They will sit in. There's I, I, Vera is full of big talk of how, you know, we need to expand for when we go to the World Cup. But I'd say that that notion probably survived until she saw the draw and saw that they play, they, they've drawn two of the top 10 teams in the world. So I will be, I will be, colour me very pleasantly surprised now if they decide to play um, a far more expansive game to try and, and beat Australia and Canada. So they, but they're, look, they're extra, They're very hard to beat. They have a. They have a defensive line of five. Uh, Denise O'Sullivan and there's Ruisha Littlejohn the other night, but will kind of sit in front of them. They're not going to be. Uh, they play with a lone striker. Is another American girl, uh, Kira Carusa, who ha- has really grown into the role. Like she's not much of a threat in front of goal, but that's not really what Ireland need her for. They need her to be able to hold up the ball uh, and get Ireland up the pitch. Mm. But essentially, 
essentially they're a team whose biggest goal threat is from set pieces. There's no no real two ways about that. They they try and get up the pitch. They try and get frees, corners, throws. They try and score from them, and that's 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 essentially who they are. So effectively, you got three three in the back, two wing backs, two holding midfielders, two attacking midfielders, and a sole striker up front. That's how they'll pretty much. Give or take, yeah, yeah. They have uh, basically, yeah, uh, Marissa Shiva is a little, uh, she's one of the other Americans that have come in since qualifying. Um, and she kind of comes running late onto when Caruso holds the ball up and she tries to find her with little touches. She's very technically very good player, very good, very nimble feet. Um, but yeah, their goal threat is just. It's not great. Like uh, they have their their best goal getter um, is Amber Barrett, who scored the the winning goal in the qualifying game against uh, Scotland. Like a real goal poacher, mm. uh, a really good finisher. But she won't start any of the games. I wouldn't have thought. Um, she's not. They don't play the sort of game that feeds a goal scorer. They they play so that. They need Caruso to run the channels and take a lot of punishment and get kicked from behind and win freeze and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and then um, if the game opens up late on and they need a goal, uh, Barrett will come on for the last 20 minutes kind of thing. She is she is a really good, really, really sort of efficient striker. But um, yes, Ireland don't, don't play the game where they need... Uh, like they're not going to create nine chances in a game and need somebody to take three of them. They'll they'll create four chances and three of them will be corners, kind of thing. I sound very down on them, don't I? <laughs> We're going to get to that in a minute. <laughs> yeah, that was my next question, actually. <laughs> so, uh, Malachi, how do you see them going across these three games? Yes, we know that they're going to be on the back foot against Australia and Canada. How do you assess them compared with Nigeria? Is that the opportunity to get a win? Or is potentially is that much the same in that they'll be on the back foot and looking to get a point, score of a set piece? I think, like, everybody uh, goes into tournaments crossing their fingers and thinking of the best case scenario. So let's let's do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, they, as I say, I've, I've sounded very down on them. They do have some great qualities. Mm-hmm. Like, they are an incredibly unified bunch. They are... They they know exactly how they play, yeah. you know. The and and there uh, there were signs in their games in America at in April and in the in the friendlies they played there in the last two weeks. They know that their problem is a, a lack of potency and a lack of an attacking game, and you can see that they're trying to fix that. In a way, they look like if they could have. If they were going into another qualifying campaign and got to hone it against like some lesser teams and whatnot, or there's Nations League here in September and October. Yeah. If they had that, you could see them going to a World Cup with a few better moves and, and that kind of stuff. Um, I think that th- I wouldn't be at all surprised if they got a point off Australia and or a point off Canada. I wouldn't, th- that wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. It would take like mistake free. Uh, games it would take the Matildas like you know for all that it's it's an enormous event for for Ireland walking into the Lions Den you know there's an awful lot of pressure being the host playing in the first game um, in front of an expectant crowd like I don't know how many of the 80,000 are going to be like really 
switched on uh, soccer fans. I'd say mm. there's quite a lot of the casual public there. Uh, if the if after 20 minutes it's a stalemate, like are the crowd going to get on their back and kind of go? We expected we expected better from the Matildas here. I don't know. You know, there's just that that's a hurdle that that Australia have to jump as well as as Ireland. Um, this sounds a little grasping at straws, I guess. But no, no, I do. I do think. Look, the thing with them is that they're 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 going to be extremely hard to beat. There's no there's no getting away from that. They're, they if they they will keep things very tight. They'll get into the second half of games. They may try and win them. They may be they'd be delighted with a point out of the first two of the first game and the second game. Um, they'll be they'll just be hoping that um there's something in the Nigeria game for them. Um I think they they do well actually against teams they should beat. Uh that that's I think I think that has been their best their their their, their biggest leap forward is that like because the standards in the women's game, there's such a step upstairs, you know, like the, the really good teams are so much better than the Midland teams and the Midland teams are so much better than the, the really lower teams. Ireland have always been a sort of a Midland team that really struggled to beat the lower teams because they're not, not going to beat the big teams. You know what I'm getting at? So they have become quite efficient at dealing with games as favourites and and not letting that kind of ruin them. Um, So I think that they... They they should they should go out and beat Nigeria. Um, the other two, God knows, you know, it, it, if they manage to get through the group, it would be an enormous achievement, a genuinely enormous achievement. But um, I don't know. I, I I wouldn't be overly optimistic. I don't think you can. Like I do. I, I think they're like Canada, Canada and Australia. Are, they're they're proper proper contenders. You know, they're, yeah. they're going to be around. They they ought to get through to the next round. They'd be like so. If Ireland get through, it'll be. Ludicrous achievement. Just quickly, who win, who takes it out? I I really hate. I think England are going to do it. It's awful. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> God Almighty! Anyone but surely. Yeah, they're bad enough as it is. Bad enough that they're coming back in the ashes. They're going to win the fucking World Cup as well. <laughs> Alec, thank you very much for joining us here on Making Waves, our Women's World Cup preview for 2023, and oh, we're looking forward to see how Ireland get on. Excellent. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to speak with Maliki Clerken from the Irish Times. And on the other side, we'll be joined by Cecilia Omarogbe from Channels TV in Nigeria. And joining us on the line to speak about all things Nigeria ahead of this Women's World Cup, Matilda's Group B opponents. It's sports anchor and producer for Channels TV from Nigeria. It's a pleasure to welcome Cecilia Omarogbe. Thank you very much for having me on the program. Great for you to join us. And Cecilia, just kicking things off, what is it like in Nigeria at the moment, the vibes, the feeling around this tournament? It's another appearance for Nigeria at a Women's World Cup. How is this one shaping up in comparison to the previous ones? Yeah, I, I think um, the build-up to this has been muted compared to the performances and also preparations for others that we've had. Uh, surrounding the players, yes, for the first time, we are having fantastic players. And for the first time in history, we had the best preparations, that is having to play uh, international friendlies in the U.S. and even in Canada, went to Australia, in Canada, then uh, I think in um, Mexico and also in Turkey, different uh, turning that the Super Falcons participate in. And then but we but build up to this particular World Cup after the last uh, um, international friendlies they played in Mexico, there haven't been any friendlies. And of course, the coach already complained that he didn't have a chance to play a European mm. opponent. He played against teams like New Zealand, played against teams like the USA, Canada. 
Canada and Mexico, Haiti and some other countries, but Colombia and even Costa Rica. But what he wanted so much was to play against European country. He didn't get that opportunity. And so when he when geared up to the World Cup, he had to write to the Nigerian Football Federation that he needed a two weeks uh, training camp for home-based players where he can pick some of his players from. But the NFF didn't grant that. When I spoke with the NFF president, he said that uh, because when he submitted his list of 60 pool of players that he was to pick to the World Cup, he had just seven home-based players. So he felt there was no need for them to open a camp. So they would just open camp in Australia 15 days to the tournament. All the players will settle there and then they begin their campaign, which, of course, is going to be against uh, Olympic champion Canada. So that's the view that we've had. And, of course, the coach also coming out to say that he hasn't been paid, you know, for a while, you know, 14 months. He was owned. He was paid seven months just some time ago. So he's still being owned salaries. And, of course, with the issue of bonuses that FIFA brought up, you know, FIFA is going to be paying players $30,000 at group stage. At least that is guaranteed. So the Federation now said since FIFA is paying them that, the usual bonuses that they get, which is $3,000 per match, they will not be getting it. So having these old situations going into the World Cup, for the first time in a long while in Nigeria, we're not having confidence at all. The Super Falcons will go into this World Cup and come out victorious. So that's the situation in the whole, at home with the whole situation even the National Assembly even had to debate it because the rumor came out a while that the Super Falcons were going to boycott their opening game. When I spoke with the captain, she said nothing like that. They are going to play all their games. No protest, no boycotting of games. They will just take the games the way it comes. So situation in Nigeria, as I mentioned earlier, is not looking pretty good at all with all the situations surrounding the build-up to this very uh, FIFA Women's World Cup. And we thought Spain and uh, France had issues, but geez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is just <laughs> yeah. these issues uh, obviously have uh, come to a head now. Uh the from what we understand the Nigerian side is here uh in Australia now preparing. Is that that correct? Yes. Yep. Yes, yes, and they've, they've been there. Yeah, since and how have they settled in? What's the the word back to Nigeria? They've settled in okay and and the camp seems to be going okay. Yeah, it's very, very okay. Uh, the coach uh, spoke this morning that the camp is okay. The players are settled in. They, they're responding to training. He has a few knocks here and there, but he didn't mention the players, but not the serious one that will, you know, affect the players. But he said he'll play a close game, like a warm-up, you know, before, maybe this week before their game next week, but we don't really know the warm-up they'll play. But they've been training and mm -hmm. they haven't played uh, games like big games, like you have China, uh, Brazil playing China yeah. this morning. They won the 3-0. You know, you've had other countries, Zambia, for instance, before they Travel to Australia, play Germany, mm. they beat Germany 3 2. They also played Switzerland. So we've seen countries playing those ones. And of course, the big one we're expecting tomorrow, where co host yes. Australia is up against France, you know, tomorrow we heard that it's going to be a sellout. And of course, everybody's yeah. anticipating that. So we've seen countries playing warm up games and all, but Nigeria yeah. is not playing those big ones, but they'll just maybe a club or something before, you know, close game before, you know, their, their first mm. game against uh, Canada. And it's really tricky because the first game, as you mentioned against Canada, that's the opportunity for them to cause a bit of an upset if it is going to look a bit positive and perhaps a view to get out of the group. They need something against that game against Canada first one up. Yeah, they, they do. They do, really. Because if you check the Canadian national team, I mean, they've had the best of preparations. They, they're Olympic champions, for instance. So judging from that, it tells you how good they are. They've got that Nigeria did not even qualify for the Tokyo Games. So that's one. And after that, they went to, went to the Africa Cup of Nations in Morocco. And I mean, the worst 
outcome ever. We've never finished. It was fourth, and we could not even win the four, the third place match. It was that bad losing to Zambia. Their countries Nigeria don't even lose to. But you know, we lost as many games as we can for the first time in the Nations Cup. So it's not really. Yes, we've got the best players right now. But the coach seems not to understand the position. There's some, uh, there's a particular key player who is not at the World Cup. I mean, when the name was Zumita Ungozi Okobi, she plays in Spain. Actually, she spent a long time in Sweden. Mm. She's a very fantastic midfielder, versatile position. She can play from the wings. She can play as a DM. Well, this is a player you're not taking. She's she's more like the playmaker of the team. Usually, when Nigeria play games, when she's not playing, there's always this. Uh, these elapses we had and we have in the midfield. So she's not even going to the World Cup. She wasn't picked for the World Cup. Alima Tainde was picked ahead of her. But Alima Tainde just arrived camp, uh, I think on Sunday or Tuesday. I mean, the, the players have been in camp for a week before she was able to arrive you know, from her base in Sweden. So when we're not having her, so that, you know, has, to, that has also dropped you know, the expectations from players. Yeah, we have some uh, players, uh, Jennifer and Jenny, for instance, who she, she's going to be making her first World Cup debut. We have some players who are making their debut at the World Cup. Uh, the the uh, pain, uh, Tony Payne, for instance, she's going to be making her debut at the World Cup. Yes, we have our experienced players like Onome Mbi who will be making her sixth World Cup appearance. She's 40 already. Canada also has Sinclair, of course, another fantastic mm. uh, defender. So when you talk about experience and youth, Canada has a blend of that. Uh, Nigeria also has a blend of that. But the difference between Canada and Nigeria is because build up to the Canadian national team. Yes, during this, the She Believe Cup, they also were complaining concerning, yeah. you know, reduction of, you know, cutting of cost and everything. And they want equal treatment with the men's national team and everything. But theirs was before the World Cup. So mm. Super Focus Zone is happening just few weeks to the World Cup. Yeah. So that's the difference. So I think the Canadians are more settled than the Super Falcons. But, but when you're talking about player for player, yes, we've got uh, Asisa Toshola at Barcelona. She won the Champions League with Barcelona. She's the African player of the year. So that will be the key. But Onumanu is also a striker playing for the National Women's uh, Soccer League in the US. She doesn't have the strength of a particular number nine. So, well, our, our, how do I put it? The strength of the Nigerian team now will be on Asisa Toshola to be fit for the game because when she got injured in Morocco at the African Championships, that was when the whole thing, uh, uh, things fell apart. Let, let me use a popular yeah, sure. cliche here. Everything fell apart, you know. They couldn't continue in this strike because you were missing your talisman. And Zara Paranozi, she also didn't go to the World Cup because uh, the issue with China and everything, the COVID, and also she couldn't travel mm. down for that. So now you're having these two players are back. I mean, you're fully fit for this uh, Nations Cup, for this World Cup. So we are having the two of them uh, up front. So those are the two key players we can rely on. And of course. Uh, Rashida Ajibade, she will not be playing the game against uh, Canada because of the card that she had. And that's why people were thinking maybe the coach did not really know his players because mm. if he does, I mean, when you're having uh, Rashida Ajibade, she will be missing this because of a card she collected because she's going to be playing the position of um, Ngozi Okobi. So she's not yeah. there. So the midfield is going to be a problem for Nigeria against Canada. So if we can organize the team so well, so we can uh, be able to maybe get something against Canada. But from all indication, I'm not confident going into that game against Canada, really. But if we have, uh, if we can actually show off that midfield and get the bright players to be in the midfield, I think with the, with the players we have up front, Nigeria can get something out of that very, very group that we've tagged the group of death because you're having co-host Australia, of course, who want to win the World Cup for the first time in the group, Republic of Ireland making their debut, and of course, the champions, uh, Olympic champions, Canada. So it's a very, very tough group.
It is a very tough group. Um, what can you tell us about Echenna Kanu at, uh, from Racing Louisville? Is she going to feature yeah, at all? Yeah, she's yeah, she's a fantastic player. We've watched, I, I've watched her game over time and discovered that usually the coach will play her from the flanks and she'll come in as a sub. And we know, we, we know having, uh, we having uh, Rashida Dajibade also, if we have the two of them playing from the flanks, and of course, Mbia Zatoshola played against, uh, behind the striker, playing against, uh, behind Baranozi. So when we have that combination, I think we are going to have a, a good team because she's a fast, she's versatile, she's, she can score goals and she's, um, we call her a bully sometimes. The way you know she does with the defenses on her element, so that's forward to, to not just to score goals and also maybe make some assists in, in the game. That's if the coach will start because use most times she doesn't start the the, the game when you have Okbara Nozira, Shidat, and um, I start to show her when all of them are playing at the same time. So sometimes she comes in comes in as a sub. Very interesting to see this lineup and how it would shape up. We've talked about a few of the players already that we're expecting to see play a lot of minutes at this tournament. How do you see this sort of defense unit being put together for this tournament? Because you've got some fantastic players in this group. Sam Kerr, obviously on the Australian front, is the most uh, dangerous one to mark. How do you see this defense lining up? Are they able to contain some of the attacking power in this group? Yeah, I think that's that's where our biggest problem will come from. Talking about our defense, because uh, defending has hasn't been good for the Super Falcons. Yes, we have Onomebi, you know, at the back. Then we also have a uh, Tony Payne, you know, at the back. We also have uh, Ashley Prompter also at the back. But the position she plays, you know, sometimes she's supposed to be a central midfielder, but sometimes she doesn't play in that position. But I don't know what the coach is going to do at this World Cup. She's going to play as a centre back. So she's going to play as a centre back. I believe with her and having on maybe both of them right there. I think they will be able to, yes, Sam Carrier, we know how experienced she is. I mean, she's been to three World Cups now, right? How many World Cup? I think three. Yeah, they should be. Great. Or yeah, they I think should this be is our third, yeah. Yeah, mm. fourth World Cup. Fourth and of one. course, we know Australia have been to the quarterfinals three times. So that that's how good we know that team are. And with the kind of preparations they've had, the coach just said this morning that he's going to be using um, the World Cup lineup against France. So obviously we're going to watch that game closely to see how the Australians will file it. I think that will give an inkling of what the coach is going to do against them. You know, when after you know after Canada, that's going to be the next game. But I think with our setup at the back, they are having Tony Payne, uh, Ashley Prompter, having on the the three of them at the back, and um, trying to get a name now. Uh, there's another player usually that joined that forward line, if it, the, the 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 back four. So if he's going to start with that. I think we might just have some. We should be able to curtail players like Sam Kerr because when you when you know that you have a particular key player, obviously your focus may not be on her because other players can come around to score. But with what Onome can do, and if we have uh, Ashley playing a right position, a main position, I think we should be able to counter the the threats that will have will be taken from Sam Kerr. So looking at the opponents of Nigeria in this group, we've already touched on Australia, but how do you see, like, what's going to be the biggest stumbling block for Nigeria to progress out of this group, do you think? Is it going to be just the, the, the fact that they're playing against two top 10 nations in this group? Or is it, you know, is there going to be, is Nigeria going to have trouble against Ireland? How do you see it playing out? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think the biggest trouble we'll have is against Canada, really. If we can beat Canada, then there's possibility we'll progress from that group. I don't see Ireland as a threat because I, I've watched their games. Without, I don't really know much of their 
most most of their star players haven't had the opportunity to watch their star them at the club level. But watch uh, two friendlies that they played. I think it's a team that Nigeria can easily take out. So Ireland obviously is not a threat. Uh, the biggest threat is Canada. If we can move past Canada, then that uh, game against Canada will give them that positive vibes that we need going into the game against Australia. Australia obviously, I mean, the, the opening game of land is a sellout, eighty thousand yeah. capacity stadium. Yeah, it's the, already a sellout. It's so crazy. now, now. And of course, it's obviously thinking of how they're going to win it for the very first time. I'm playing against mm. a team like Nigeria. And we didn't play Australia all through when we were playing uh, friendlies. We played against New Zealand. Yeah. So you can't compare New Zealand. You beat New Zealand 3-0. So we, we're not going to use that stance to judge mm. what the Australians can bring. So the biggest threat we are having is Canada. And then followed by Australia. If we can't beat Canada, maybe get a draw against Australia. Because I know the home team, I mean, the 12th man will definitely be the crowd for the Australians. Yeah. So if we can get past Canada maybe a draw against Australia, then of course we we'll beat uh Republic of Ireland, then we can progress from that group. But it is a tough group. And for the first time, I mean, as a Nigerian, I'm going into the world this World Cup to enjoy all the games or every game. I mean, something <laughs> all the games because I'm I I uh Truthfully, I'm not confident that the Super Falcons actually get out of the group. But the biggest yeah. threat I know we have is against the Canadians, really. Yeah. We played them twice and we saw, you know, what happened. You know, when they were playing um, the celebration, they, they were having uh, the victory parade for their, after winning the Olympics, we invited mm. us over to the Super Falcons played them twice now. So we've seen what they are capable of. So if we are going to look at that again, though we didn't have our star players playing against them, with all the players now complete, and then everyone has been together for almost 15 days now, maybe uh, we can get something out of that game against Canada. Talk to us about some of the supporters that may have travelled over from Nigeria to Australia. Do you have any sort of metrics in terms of numbers, if there's any that have come across to enjoy the games? Yeah, well, I think uh, the I've been speaking with some Australian... I think we're relying more on the Australian communities than the Nigerians here because the flight tickets are, I mean, <laughs> the flight tickets are like, it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of expensive mm. you know, to go. But I think right now we should have the supporters club. I think that about 300 of them are heard that are going, you know, from Nigeria to Australia to support the team oh, that's great. what we have but i know the nigerian community like the warm-up game they'll be playing on saturday uh that they i think some nigerians you know want to go watch them no, some of them be sneaking in. <laughs> yes yeah to see so the australian community nigerian uh, communities in australia will be part of the supporters and also from here we're spending about 300 uh, going from there and then some government officials have said if they make it to the quarterfinals they will also travel down oh, wow. uh, to watch okay. the, the, the team play yeah so uh, let's Let's see how many supporters we're going to be having. Well, it's not going to be as much as we had in France because we had so many people travel sure. to France to see the women play. It's not going to be as much as that. But I think uh, overall, I think what we have, about 300 uh, the supporters club, of course, the football supporters club, they're going there to support the team. We're going to have to keep an eye out to see if we can find out a result about this closed uh, behind doors game that uh, Nigeria playing <laughs> over the weekend. But um, So let's go to game by game now. Right, and we'll get okay. your thoughts okay. on results, and okay. and then we'll uh, ask uh, the question. We'll ask you for your bold prediction at the end. So, mm. Nigeria match day one playing uh, Canada in Melbourne, and it's a smaller stadium. It's one of the smaller stadiums there, so it'll actually be quite quite uh, intimate. There'll be about twenty five thousand there um, mm, for that okay. game. So, what do you make of that? 
Okay, I, I think um, I think this uh, the game against Canada. Okay, twenty five thousand, not much crowd. I, I think that's mm. who actually set the pace for the the women because uh, sometimes when you're having your opening game in a very big stadium, in a larger crowd, uh, sometimes the jitter sets in. But I think that would be more like a home for them because we have so many Nigerians in Melbourne that some of us know. So that also we create that. Uh, atmosphere for the players and most of the, uh, the people that are traveling right from Nigeria are going straight to Melbourne for that game yeah. so that also is going to create that atmosphere for them and having that 25,000 capacity stadium which is smaller and those players are already used to playing in that kind of stadium usually except at Cesar Tushalong played at Camp Nou which is really very mm. big but most players play in stadiums like that so I think they will already be used to that and also I don't know. Canada for them, um, I don't know how many people will be supporting the Canadians, but I think they're good travelers also. Mm. You're going to be having a Canadian team also supporting. But having that game in in Breeze, uh, Melbourne, I think it's one, I think what FIFA was also trying to do was to like spread it across all yeah, stages. It doesn't have yeah. to be, you know, we have to have those who are not closer to the, to, the, to the big stadium council have opportunity to also watch uh, these games. But I think overall, scoreline, right? Yep. <laughs> okay, I expect maybe 2-1 Nigeria. 2-1 Nigeria. Fantastic. Match day two, the Matildas, Australia versus Nigeria in Brisbane. And this is a bigger stadium. It's not as big as Sydney, <laughs> right? oh, yeah. but it is a bit bigger. <laughs> There'll be about 50,000. That's what I mentioned earlier. 50,000. Wow. That's yeah. what I mentioned earlier. That's I, 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 Super Focus haven't played. The biggest uh, Super Focus haven't played. Haven't ha- it's going to be the first time they'll be having such crowd. We didn't, yes, we had big crowds, you know, in France. Well, they didn't have opportunity to play games where mm. you have such crowd and also such big stadium. Mm. Now, 50,000. And then against home team, co-host Australia, and his home for the Australians. Yeah. That's why I talked about the 12th man, that the, the voices in the stadium will be massive in that particular game in Brisbane. Because uh, the Australian High Commissioner here, when, when we spoke with her, you know, concerning this game, she said she was rooting for the Super Bowl because she knows how good they are. Oh, but that's then nice. she said on that day, yeah, <laughs> but on that day, obviously she's going to be an Australian. Now here having even the diplomatic community coming into that yeah. because of how big the game will be. But, but yeah. I, I think that's the game I'm actually afraid of. But I think a draw, maybe one or something um, as a Nigerian. But what I'm reading from that game, I think we Nigeria can get a draw from it. Mm-hmm. But if uh, Australia beats France with a World Cup lineup tomorrow morning. I'm going to change my view. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and and then match day three: Republic of Ireland versus Nigeria at, at Brisbane again. And I think they'll get yeah. a decent crowd. For, well, yeah, I think there will be a decent crowd for that for that one. Yeah, I think the, the also yeah yeah the decent crowd also also uh, also it super focused performance will also determine you know how many Nigerians will also want to go watch against Republic of Ireland that because Nigerians have the way of if you're disappointed in your first two games and the performance are not coming well sometimes it's just the boycott the game and go watch other teams yeah they want to do that but I think yes we're also going to be, see a fair crowd also in Brisbane but Republic of Ireland I think is a game I felt easily on paper yes we can easily beat because super focused have qualified for the World Cup. I mean, this is the ninth time for every edition of the tournament. They've always qualified. So um, Ireland, as I mentioned earlier, are just making their debut. And then you can't really pick a star player to say, okay, this is a player I'm going to look at. At least you can come Nigerian squad. You can pick six, seven, eight star players and say these are good enough, you know, for the national team. But Republic of, Republic of Ireland, uh, I think 
Nigeria can get three one from that. Yeah, three okay. Nigeria Republic of Ireland one. Yeah. So by your reckoning, then Australia and Nigeria yeah. will come out of the group. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> Australia in first, I'm assuming, and then Nigeria second. Or you're going to have um, Nigeria first, Australia second. <laughs> Uh, Nigeria first, Australia second. Okay, no, that's okay. <laughs> All right, so then we would have, then you would have Nigeria against potentially Denmark or England mm-hmm. or China. Yeah, out of out of that group there, out of Group D. How yeah. does uh, Nigeria go in the round of sixteen? Yeah, that's that's that's. Uh, I think that would be if we get out of the group, round of sixteen will be a bonus. But against, I think Denmark. If you're looking at those groups, China is Nigeria can beat China. It's going to be hard against England. Of course, it's going to be difficult. Although, except this, in let, let's see how they're going to perform at the group stage. The English women's national team. We see we've seen how you know the Premier League have decided to pump in money into mm. the league. You know, with Barclays backing them up, with yeah. the government funding and everything, and with them having players across. Um, like for just have every playing you've seen players moving to spain spain right now the football is rich compared to how they used to be they also you know the league it's one of the best to be recorded within the world star players going there and then england of course they are european champions but some of their key players are not here so that's the only advantage you can pick from uh from that's what nigeria can if we are going to be facing england in the round of 16 the only positive we can pick is the fact that you're not having some of their star players, you know, playing that you can pick from there. But the English women's nationality that I've seen, I mean, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know. <laughs> it, it's going to be a very tough game, really, for Nigeria if you're going to be facing. And I hope we don't get to face England in that round of 16, really. Well, against Denmark, yes, we can. But against China and England, that might just be the end of the road for the Super Force of Nigeria. But if, as I mentioned earlier, if the coach would know how to use his players, because we keep saying he doesn't understand the players and their capacity. So if he understands his players, he knows when to make substitution, especially in the forward line. When players are getting tired, you know you can pull out the player you don't have to overwork a particular player or just stick to a particular lineup all through like he does all through the qualifiers that we've seen and all through the preparation stage that we've seen i think we can easily uh, go with these teams two to two england is just the team i'm really afraid of really in this world cup england netherlands the usa i think those teams are yeah compact team and cecilia if not nigeria who do you think is going to take out the world cup who's going to win the final um, I think USA. <laughs> I, I've seen, I've seen what uh, Coach Blacko had done with the team. Yes, we've seen some players, you know, retire, leaving the squad and everything. We know Mega Rapino is going to be her, her last World Cup. She will obviously want to leave it all on the field before she leaves. Alex Morgan also, she's fired up, but she's still in her 20s. Then you have this Sophie Smith, who happens to be NWSL, the, the MVP from the league. She added a blend of experience and also youth together. So what he has done with the team, yeah, what's in Navigma, what, what the coach won the World Cup with him, what she, what, um, uh, uh, Son Henniger, what he, she done, what she did with the team at the World Cup. He came in, he didn't change much. What he did was to bring in some young talent into that team and also sticking with the old players who've been to three uh, World Cups. So that experience and also that youth is there for the USA. So USA is my number one pick. I mean, if they win it, they become the first country to defend, I mean, to win the World Cup three times in a row. I mean, men or women. So that's, with that, you know, standing, because I know USA always, always have a way of wanting to make history, send out a message. They did that in France. They can't do it again. 
you know, in Australia. So USA, number one. Then Australia, if Australia can get past England, if they meet, if they're going to meet in England round to get past England, I think I'm also tipping Australia also for this because of what Sam kept this season with the club. So I think Australia, that's two. Which other country I'm looking at? Um, I'm not looking at England because I, I think the victory they had at the Euros you know, was too much for them. They're still, you know, reeling from that success. They didn't expect to win it. So that is also still in the team. So I'm taking out England. But I think Australia, the USA, uh, Dark Horse, Dark Horse, Dark Horse, Dark Horse should be <sighs> France. Mm. Yeah. They wouldn't want to send a message because, you know, uh, Herb Renard, we know he's, 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 he's a world-traveled coach. He was with Qatar at the uh, World Cup, you know, in Qatar. You know, he coached the team. He's been in charge for eight yeah. months now. Yeah, he's been in charge for eight months now. You know, we've we've seen what happened with the French national team, the disarray that they had, the public spats with the coach that was asked to go. And so he has come in, stead in the ship, bring back most of the players who said they were not going to go to the World Cup. And then from what I've seen him, from what he has done, I think France is a is a team that you can look at or they may just want to win their first World Cup. Germany is also a team that you cannot write off. They were run out in Euros. And also the last time they won a tournament was since Rio 2016 after winning the, the Olympics. So they haven't won a major tournament since then. They've won this tournament twice. They might want to go for third. I think these are the countries I'm actually picking, you know, for the World Cup. Because if you check the German national team, I think uh, the, 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 their captain, Captain Alice Pop, she wasn't at the Euros, you know, when they, in the final. She, she didn't play in the final. She was injured. Now she's fit and ready to go. And she's going to play with her teammate from Wolfsburg, seven of them. So now you're having almost like a team, you know, a, a full club, a full team who are used to playing together week in, week out. Rosberg was in the finals of the Champions League, playing week in, week out. They're going to be together at this World Cup. So Germany is another team I'll look at because of, you know, what Rosberg did, you know, at the uh, UEFA Champions League this year. Great to be joined by Cecilia Omarogbe from Channels TV in Nigeria. Fascinating chat. And we're definitely going to be interested to see how Nigeria get on in this group because they certainly can cause a threat or two to the other teams in uh, Group B. Laz, I think it's time we go game by game. Fatty, you're still with us? I'm here. I'm on. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. And diving straight into match day one, it's looking like a fantastic night in prospect. Next Thursday night... (laughs) Australia against the Irish. It's going to be fantastic. Got goosebumps thinking about it. Got goosebumps thinking about it. And you guys are going to be there and I'll be watching it from the luxury of my private grandstand at home. (laughs) Right? (laughs) No, I couldn't get a ticket, but that's all right. It's okay. It's all good. It's all good. But but yes, (laughs) I've dealt with it. Round of, round of 16 better be here oh. i'll tell you that's all that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> no pressure matildas let's go no. opening night opening night soccer is versus uh soccer is the matildas versus the oh. republic of ireland yeah um, how do we how do we think this is going to play out how do we think it's happening i'm expecting a very well organized and tough to break down island who can cause us some issues especially on kind of like the counter because they've got some extremely good quality players there. Um, I think, though, that we will rise to the occasion. I think you have 80,000 with about 90% of that crowd uh, all behind you. The girls will do it. I don't think it will be easy, but I'm 100% confident that we can get that result um, and the performance that we need. And I will take a 1-0 
I want, I don't really want this at the 80th minute, but mm-hmm. I will take that. Um, I'd rather it a nice kind of comfortable, mm. you know, a three nil would be lovely um, just to put us all at ease and I can be relaxed on my flight home. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, <laughs> Australia, we've got it. I'm going to go two nil. And I think there's going to be a, a, like an early goal to two nil to the Matildas. I think there needs to be an early goal because as we were speaking with Maliki just before, he sort of raised the point that if it's nil-nil, sort of half an hour into the game and the Matildas aren't really create many chances, given that there's a lot of um, slightly more casual people in the stands, uh, is everyone going to get a little bit antsy? Is the pressure going to mount and mount? So I hope there's an early goal and they mm. can all fall to one side and it's a moot point. But yeah. uh, I, I'm going to I'm gonna back you, Laz. I'm going to say 2 nil as well. Yeah. I think there'll be a goal within the first 20 minutes, I think. I need it for my own health and safety. <laughs> <laughs> so the night after or the day after we've got Nigeria versus Canada out of Melbourne, how do we think that's going to go? God, that's such a good game because you've got two countries who have come in to this tournament with drama off the field. Mm-hmm. Like I've never. Yeah. Yeah. The really Nigerians seen. have their Especially drama. If Nigeria have their drama, but for a country like Canada to be throwing the word of bankruptcy around and yeah. I mean, Canada, like, come on. Insane. Um, it's insane. So I will, I will Stick with Canada on that one. But I think it's going to be a great game to just sit back and watch and have no emotional attachment to it. Um, Nigeria, though, like they have an incredible team, very uh, fit, quick, strong, but also talented football players and striker Oshola, like, whoa, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, really don't want to have to deal with her too much. Um, But I think Canada edge with not only the Olympics being Olympic champions and that experience, but got Christine Sinclair, one of the goats of women's football um, and football in general, really. And they've got um, Fleming who's been on fire at Chelsea um, and Buchanan and Ashley Lawrence. Uh, Yeah. I'm going to go with Canada. Got a score. I'm going to get 2 1 myself. I think Canada. Oh, I was about to say, you took it. It's <laughs> <laughs> going to be a 2 1. It was just vibes. It was just vibes. Just vibes. Yeah, yeah. Well, 2 1. 2 1. You got 2 1 as well, Nathan. Canada. I do. I do. I do. Okay. All right. <laughs> so then, so that means that we all have Australia on three and Canada on three at the end of match day one. Yeah. Match day two. Match day two. Australia versus Nigeria in your hometown, Fatty. Mm. Jeez, what a venue for yeah. this one. Yeah. Um, we honestly, as hosts, how did we also get like the group that's so hard. stressful and hard? Yeah. Yeah. Like that's you, unfair. <laughs> that's this right. would be the group of death if it were any other World Cup. I think so. Yeah, it would be. And, and look, I don't mean it's, to be disparaging or anything, no, but you compare this group yeah. to the group that's group New Zealand of I'd happily yeah. swap it. <laughs> yes, it was. It was good to see yeah. Anna Green's reaction when you said that. Let's yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yes, yeah. Australia versus Nigeria out of Brisbane, mm, Lang yeah. Park, um, as it'll Lang- be known, Brisbane Stadium. <laughs> Brisbane Stadium. Sorry, Brisbane Stadium. Yeah. Um. Uh. Again, I'm going Matildas, and um, I'm going to go with three-one to Matildas. Okay. Yeah. I've got a three-one as well. Wow. Okay, I was going to say mm. Matilda's 2-1. There you go. Awesome. All right. Mm. So then we go to Canada versus Ireland. Oh, fun game. Oof. This is the game. This is the one. Ireland, please Ireland. 
Aiden McCabe to start a fight and score. No, actually, I'm not condoning fighting, but Katie McCabe to come in as she always does. Um, but to to you know grab a goal as well. Yeah, I can see. In t- if we think about it, then in terms of the fans at this game, where's this game being played? It's being Canada. played in Perth. I was just about to mention this mm. one's actually played in Perth. Right. Okay. Massive Irish say, contingent. That's what it's going to be for me. I think the Irish fans. They don't need much to be loud, right, and to support your team. Um, and so I see that this is the perfect, the perfect opportunity for them to be more of that kind of home team atmosphere. And it's a great stadium out, out there as well. That the old uh, Perth Glory Stadium, or Perth Oval, yeah. whatever it's what's, called. What's yeah, this one called Perth. It's Perth Stadium now, Perth Rectangular. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm predicting then. Um, it would be an upset to, on paper. That is an upset. Um, but I would say that that would be a 2-1. To Ireland? 2-1 to Ireland. 2-1 wow. okay. to Ireland. Wow. Nathan? I've got a one all. I've got a one all too. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I, I just think this, uh, this Irish defence is no. uh, going to be very tough to break down. And I yeah. think the opening night for the Matildas will get them across the line. Yeah. Canada on match day two, maybe not so easy. And going out to Perth as well, I don't think that's going to yeah. suit them at all. For some reason, I've got a funny feeling about that. I think that Canada going to drop points there, be it a lot, be it a loss, like a you know an upset by Ireland or a draw. Mm. And I'm happy with either of those. Mm. So yes. then, at the end of match day two, we'll have Fatty's group as Australia are in six, mm. Canada on on three, Republic of Ireland on three. So we've not fish We wouldn't mathematically have secured it. Not after yet. Two. No. Uh. No. Oh, I don't want that. But I that's want okay. To <laughs> <laughs> I am not gonna. Have, I'm gonna need some good like tips for me, like so, meditation. Okay, and then and then Nathan and I will have Australia on six, Canada on four. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And mm. Ireland on one, and Nigeria mm. on zero. Mm. Interesting. Heading into all match right. day three. Heading into match day three. Okay. Maybe for all the chocolates now, Canada versus Australia out of Melbourne. <laughs> Especially because that was the hardest one to get a ticket to. God, um, there's even more like anxiety with that one. <laughs> yeah, I the the oh yeah the drama. I'm getting tickets to that. Well, we need our revenge for our um, two games of um, not beating them at mm-hmm. home. Um, you know, I'm going all in. We're gonna we're gonna win that one, and it's gonna be it's going to be like three two. I like that. I like that. I'm going to back it, Paddy. Goals in that one. I'm going to back it, Paddy. I'm going to. I'm going to go three to Australia. That does sound very good. Uh, from my I know you're going to say a draw. I can tell already. Yeah, just from because your tone Australia, of voice. Only, Australia would only need a draw to <laughs> so, so not only go through, but also secure uh, look, top spot. I, I, I'll be happy either way, be it a draw or a win. Yeah, of course. Right? But yeah, no, of I course. Agree. I've got it down for a one-one All on right. my side, which would secure top spot for Australia and hopefully so, avoiding England in the first knockout round, yeah. which is all important. Yeah. And so, the last game of the group, Ireland against Nigeria, back up at Brisbane. Fatty, what do you think? Um, I'd say, oh, well, I like Ireland, so I'm just going to stick with Ireland getting a win, um, 2-1. I'm going to get Nigeria 2-1. As am I. As am I. Get out of town, man. Seriously. <laughs> no, 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 no. Listen, Fatty, no. we never show, we never, like you can see, we don't share screens, we don't do anything, <laughs> right? This guy here, right? 
has only gone different to me once. <laughs> during this whole You've only gone different to me once. <laughs> That's so. Um, you guys are the perfect co-hosts. No, you know what? Just go and think. Right? Oh, it's 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 insane, right? The only thing we've disagreed on, right? And we'll yeah. get to who we get out. The only thing we've disagreed on is is um who comes out of Group A, the group of the, the group of life. I've said the New Zealand. I've said New Zealand and uh, he said Philippines. Nathan has said Philippines. So, yes. I don't think either of those will come out. I'm oh, Swiss. really? You think the Swiss? There we go. Norway and the Swiss. Wow. Okay, cool. We'll do it. All and right. I look, happy to be wrong. Happy to be wrong. Of course. But the Swiss have some, I'm not, I mean, the Philippines, though, they are very, um, you know, that's a tough team. But, um, I don't know. I, I'm still Switzerland. Yeah, cool. All right. So either way, we both, we, I think we all have, after all that, I think we all have a sh- <laughs> the Matildas coming out in first. Yeah. Top of the group. Yep. Canada coming out in second. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. Okay. We don't differ, Laz. It was only, it was only one group. It's only one group. Wait till we do the brackets. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there'll be something different there. <laughs> That'll be our last preview episode. So there we go. That'll be fun. Uh, that certainly will be. I this one we'll was be, a lot of fun too. I, I think we'll be at each other's throats there, Fatty. But we'll see how we go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll uh, at least go. there's a record of what I said before and then let's see how I go. That's right. Um, That's right. <laughs> Fatty, it, it's an absolute pleasure to, for you to join us. Thank you again for your time. Enjoy the month of football ahead. I know you won't be getting much sleep, right? Mm. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's yeah. just like a normal World Cup, really. But um, uh, but thank you again so much for uh, for your contribution and coming back onto the back peg and, and contributing to our Making Waves preview series of this magnificent event that is about to kick off. No, thank you so much for, for bringing me back um, and, and for your work in, you know, spotlighting our football in this country but also the women's game um i think you know what what you're doing is is amazing and um uh, yeah we're really appreciative for a platform to share the news of or to share the word about our matildas this world cup and matildas active as well so don't forget follow matildas active all the socials yeah <laughs> thank you anytime Fanny. Thank you, thank you. Thank you also to uh, Malachi Clerken, Benedict Rhodes and Cecilia Omarogby for joining us on this preview series. Thank you as well to everyone who's checked out this episode. Thank you for all your feedback. Good, bad and in between. We appreciate every single one of you and we look forward to speaking to you next week with our bracket preview. And that'll be the last of our preview episodes. So looking forward to that. Thanks again all. Take care.